it's, it's good they decided to do that sacrifice rather than the Al-Qaeda sacrifice of flying planes into buildings. Stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Wildcard weekend was here. It was very exciting, although, you know, we kind of very much got rid of a couple of teams that maybe didn't deserve to be there. So, hey, we got Connor here. We've got Sean. Hello. And we got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all down in uh, Waterford, Sean? Yeah, not too bad. It's uh, quiet enough since we got back from Christmas. Uh, back almost a week now. Um... So just kind of settling back in. Uh, as I was relaying the lads, I had a an encounter with a long lost relative on a, on the dog walk there earlier. So that was a interesting change. But apart from that, nothing nothing much going on. Uh, we've got a wedding to go to in England next week. So we're planning that. Very exciting. Uh, Whereabouts yeah. in England? Uh, wherever my Sarah's from. I think it's Leek. The name of the Leak. place. I, hmm. I, it's uh, near Stoke. It's like in that middle area that's neither north nor south. England. I, I believe it's called the Midlands. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, P- the Peak District, I think, is its Ah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to travel around there for work back in the day. I know a little oh, bit. Right, the yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. Very good. How about yourself, Fitz? How's Cork? Ah, not too bad. Just tipping away. It's a bit frosty down here, which is rare enough down here this far down south, but uh, surviving it all right. Uh, saw Marcus there at the weekend. We were originally going to see the Buffalo Steelers game on. Uh, Sunday, but uh, sorry, on Saturday, but that uh, got shifted around a bit. Yeah. Uh, so didn't quite work out that way on Sunday. But uh, watch United again have another stupid game against Tottenham. <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, no, we had a quite enough fun here. We had a D and D game on Saturday, and that was good fun. And then obviously just lots of football. It actually kind of worked out interestingly that we kind of got football at watchable times every single day over the weekend because of the moved game. So uh, kind of got to see three of them live and three of them on, on watchback. So it was uh, worked out quite well, to be honest. I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll hit into the news before we get into all of the games that happened. So uh, the coaching carousel is spin, spin, spinning again. Uh, New England have already made their decision. So we talked last week about Bill Belichick leaving and whether or not, you know, they might go after Vrabel or what, what, what they were thinking about doing. Turns out uh, their linebackers coach, Jared Mayo, already had it in his contract that uh, he was going to be the successor to Belichick. So they didn't even have to do a search. They just promoted him. Uh, So Mayo was a New England lifer. He played there uh, prior to it. So he kind of came up playing under Bill Belichick. And he's had four seasons as a linebackers coach there. He's well-liked in the building. He's known, obviously, to all the staff pretty well at this point, and obviously to, to ownership as well. However, you would kind of wonder, I get... There's two two prongs to my concern here. Uh, one, we kind of talked about if they want to go and change it up and go in a new direction, whether or not someone who's played under and coached under uh, Belichick for his entire career is necessarily the biggest change of direction. Uh, but then secondly, to have your head coach have literally four seasons of experience and four seasons as a positional coach uh, is maybe not what you would generally look for experience-wise from a head coach. So I'm kind of, I'm wondering, Sean, what your thoughts on this are. Do you think it's going to be same, same? Do you think Gerbeo's got big ideas uh, and he's just never been given a large enough canvas to test them out? Or how, how are you feeling about this selection? 
Yeah, I, I want to keep an open mind about it. My my approach, I think, is going to be to see to to not go in with any preconceptions into the season and see how it goes. Because you're right, there, there's the the two big factors here are is he's essentially going to be seen as a continuity candidate to the Belichick era continues in his protege, uh, and also the the inexperienced thing. So if things start to go badly. Uh, early, it could be it, there could be a lot of pressure on him, and uh, there's going to be an awful lot of pressure, I think, on Robert Kraft to to kind of hold the line because the, the paths do need to be rebuilt. So you can't expect things to turn around uh, automatically. I mean, I will say that there has been fr- from a little bit of kind of media coverage of this that I that I have followed, there has been some suggestion that Kraft is just basically like this guy is the guy, uh, as much as Balachik was the guy. Uh, 18, 18 years ago, this guy is the guy, and we have to make the move now. The worry, I think, was that if they didn't make the change now and put put him in as head coach this season, that he might get poached in next season um, uh, by by some other team looking to be uh, ambitious. And there is a sense, and, and I think we, in that sense, you need to do kind of sort of remember that when Balcic himself was was put in place, he was. He didn't have the biggest reputation in the world. He wasn't considered to be, a, a, you know, a slam dunk decision. And there is some, as much as Robert Kraft is perhaps a, a, a figure of some mirth with regards to his uh, extramarital uh, activities uh, and such like, he does seem to have, at least with this regards, have some, you know, he's an eye for talent is, is the argument. And if he sees in Mayo what some sort of younger, new evolution of what he saw in Belichick, all those years ago, because remember, Belichick himself was a was an assistant coach under Parcells in New England for a while. When and Kraft kind of he didn't he didn't hire him straight away, and he regretted not doing that. But he it's the same kind of thing. He saw something in this guy, and he made sure to get him when they had the opportunity. And now he sees something uh, in Mayo and wants to make that chance. So I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt in that regard, and I want to see how it goes. But he has to be given time. Uh, there's no question that that. Uh, you know, the, the Belgic defense probably won't need a huge amount of upgrade, especially when the injured star players come back and they, they will probably be a top 10 defense. The offense needs a complete rebuild and they'll probably have a rookie quarterback and they'll have to rebuild the entire receiving core because it's all garbage. So there's a lot of work to be done. So there's got to be a patient. This is not a one-year project. This is a at least a five-year project. And the question, I guess, is does Kraft have the... Uh, the patience uh, for that, because this suggests that there is some sort of wider plan in place, that, that, that Belichick, there was always some element of Belichick being pushed aside this, this uh, offseason in order to move to Mayo, or at least in Kraft's mind, he always had that intention. Uh, so it suggests he does have his eye on the bigger picture. Um, but if it goes badly, uh, he's going to look very stupid indeed, uh, and it is a risk in that sense. But I, I got I to trust, trust the process, as they say, uh, and see where it goes. And Jared Mayo has been talked about as kind of an ascending coach by insiders, it feels like, for multiple years, which is surprising for someone who only has like four years as a you know, linebacker's coach, not exactly a, a prime time position uh, for people who get promoted to the big job. Uh, but it is obvious that Kraft has had an eye on him and his, you know, peop- uh, people obviously were going out there to various people to ensure that people knew that Jared Mayo was a, an ascending star. And I do think this does intersect with like some larger trends, like, you know, the day of the kind of do it all, you know, coach, you know, Bill Belichick controls everything. Pete Carroll controls everything. These types of coaches 
um, may be over and obviously Jared May will probably have to be paired with a, a relatively experienced general manager you would imagine to kind of you know start taking care of the football operations it kind of mirrors to a certain extent the kind of transition you saw in kind of high level soccer about a decade ago when guys like Alex Ferguson and such were were traded out for people like Pep Guardiola who were paired with a much stronger independent uh, footballing operation um, but it is a huge risk like this guy you know very little experience as a coach very little experience in the big job but I suppose they'll look at guys like Danico Ryan so although he had a bit more um, you know stuff on his CV before he made the promotion but a young defensive minded coach is someone who can connect more readily with the players and you know this probably indicates that Kraft did not think that the Patriot way was the problem but that Bill Belichick just didn't have what it took anymore in terms of being able to control the entire operation but also being able to have that kind of special connection that you're seeing between the best coaches and their players these days whether that be D'Amico Ryan or Sean McVay or whoever so you know a really risky move he's now the youngest head coach in the league uh, finally Sean McVay has been usurped but uh, I think he will be given time to see see how this works out but we know New England you know those fans those they're pretty they're pretty cosseted, I would say, for the last two decades or so. So we'll see how long they uh, can be kept under uh, wraps. Uh, if I, I mean, that well. is the thing. Boston sports fans are not a patient group of people by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so that there is going to be pressure coming from that regard as well, for sure. So his only advantage is that they're coming off such a low low, and then also that he's a lifer, like you know. So he'll have a bit of inbuilt respect there that someone else coming from externally might have had. Yeah. Uh, other head coaching jobs then that are open at the moment, Carolina, Vegas, Chargers, Atlanta, Washington, Tennessee, and Seattle. We're obviously keeping an eye out. There's a lot of question marks over uh, Dallas and Philadelphia now following what we'll talk about in the game reviews. But basically, there's some questions about whether or not those openings might be coming up as well. The only two big names really to talk about on the interview so far is Jim Harbaugh has gone and interviewed at the Chargers job and Belichick has interviewed at Atlanta. And there's also been a couple of rumors flying around that a number of these openings are not interested in Belichick, but we'll see what comes out of those. Uh, Washington have picked up uh, the GM. So they've hired San Francisco's assistant general manager, Adam Peters, he's kind of got a good bit of experience. He started with New England and Denver, and then he's been second in command in San Francisco for a while. They've got the number two pick. They've got a lump of additional picks they've got from the trades of their defensive linemen, Young and Sweaty, earlier on the season. So a lot of work to get done for Adam Peters straight out of the gate. So hopefully they've made the right decision there. We'll look at some of the injuries from around the league. So... Uh, those who are still playoff relevant, Houston wide receiver Noah Brown has injured his shoulder and he's gone for the season. So that'll be a big loss to their wide receiver core. Green Bay edge rusher uh, Kinsley Akambare has torn his ACL and that'll do him for the season and possibly into the start of next season. And Buffalo linebacker uh, Terrell Bernard has hurt his ankle and he's week to week. So Houston will start there. Um, we'll talk about them in the game, but they were explosive. It's CJ Stroud to all these weapons that are kind of doing the job for them now. Nico Collins should be back and all that kind of stuff. And at more than 100%. So hopefully this won't hurt them too much, but Brown has been a big part of that offense over the last five or six weeks, particularly covering up for injuries in the rest of the wide receiver core. Yeah, like Noah Brown's been a, a you know pleasant surprise, I would say, at the wide receiver position when they've been missing guys like Nico Collins and guys like Tank Dell. He stepped up and done a good job for me. He had a couple of explosive games that, uh, you know, if you had him in fantasy, I'm sure you would have uh, liked to see. Uh, so it is definitely a loss. It means you'll probably see more snaps for John Mechie. Um, who's a young player, he came off, had the Hodgkin's lymphoma and he's recovered that and he made a couple of nice plays there in the wildcard round and then uh, probably more snaps as well for the experienced Robert Woods who uh, hopefully able to kind of do the more uh, chain moving work 
uh, and then maybe more uh, for the tight ends as well. So it is definitely a loss, but, you know, Nico Collins is obviously the, the number one weapon there by far, uh, so it isn't, you know, a devastating loss. Ngabari uh, is kind of a rotational pass rusher for Green Bay, so, you know, not great not great for him, for his career, but I doubt it'll have a major impact on Green yeah. Bay's production. And Bernard, I think the big thing is that, uh, that the early uh, X-ray scans were negative, which was very positive because he, he had to be taken off on the card, I believe. Uh, so great to see that he is possibly going to play next week or... Um, possibly in a future round if they make it through. But uh, ankle injuries, it's usually like one to three weeks if they're not serious. Yeah, and Rams tight end Tyler Higby uh, did his ACL in the game. Uh, so they're out for the season anyway, but this will probably be the kind of one that might hit at the start of next season as well. So that'll probably affect the start of his 2024. Uh, other bits of news from around the league. Uh, Philadelphia center Jason Kelsey is retiring after 13 seasons. He was due to retire last year, but following the Super Bowl loss, decided to try and run it back one more time. Uh, six-time All-Pro, he is... Is like he's, he's spent his entire career with the Eagles. Has been phenomenal at his position. Probably the best uh, added of his generation. Like almost certainly a lock for the Hall of Fame first ballot. I would imagine unless something weird happens. There's not a ton of linemen in the uh, years before him, so I can't imagine there'd be too much of a backlog going in. But um, yeah, great career for him. I hope that they. So last year he the the, the the Kelsey documentary thing that they did was meant to be he was planning to retire last year and. His, uh, his idea was that the majority of the ones he sees from that are they do a documentary after the person's retired and he wanted to have one done about you know <laughs> what it's like to come to that decision and the final year of playing so I hope he kind of just went right we'll just film another season then so you can actually see that <laughs> happening because uh, uh, he's a fun guy and I wouldn't mind uh, watching a documentary about him yeah, Kelsey Brothers is a real uh, media superstars now. They're definitely stepping into the limelight uh, in a big way. But yeah, no question, one of the one of the greats, and certainly in his latter year will be remembered as the guy who made the touch push possible. Apparently, he's he's the reason it worked ninety percent of the time, and the reason it's so difficult for other teams to replicate it because of the timing and the and the various issues involved. He yeah he, he ran that that offensive line in, in a huge way, and certainly should have been maybe maybe. Uh, uh, deserved to go out with the high of the Super Bowl win um, rather than the, the meltdown, as we'll talk about. Um, but uh, certainly, yeah, cert- one of the greats at his position, no doubt. Yeah, and he, he got the ring. He's obviously there long enough to get the, the actual Super Bowl ring they got a few years ago. And to be honest, he's only been getting better with age. He, like, If he wanted to come back, he would be welcome with open arms because he's only been better, it feels like, in the last couple of years. He's almost like yeah. reached, you know, got, got better. Um, but yeah, probably like a 99% first ballot Hall of Famer. Like he's not Joe Thomas, but he's pretty much like the exact tier below that in terms of offensive linemen. Yeah, uh, USC quarterback Caleb Williams has officially declared for the 2024 draft. You may remember he kind of hemmed and hawed about it and I think was looking to see what teams would be up the top. He's the current favorite to be the number one overall pick. Obviously, this is not great news for Justin Fields, who's been hoping to keep his job. We'll see how that plays out with the Bears. But uh, yeah, Caleb Williams will be in the NFL next year. Yeah. And of uh, course, we'll be covering all that in our off-season program. Oh yeah, of uh, course. But some... Real football to go before then. Yeah, and uh, an interesting bit of news that broke today. Uh, Welsh rugby international Lewis Rees Samet has announced that he's leaving rugby to enter the NFL's International Player Pathways program. Uh, this is probably the highest profile player to enter that, uh, particularly the largest one from like a, 
a rugby background. He's a 22 year old winger for our kind of international listeners. This guy is very, very good at what he does. It's quite a surprise to see this. So he's quite young at 22. He's got 32 international caps and 14 tries. Um, he's kind of one of the linchpin players for Wales, uh, kind of very, very high up in it. Uh, now, we would theorize probably something to do with money here, uh, given that if he can make an NFL roster, he will almost certainly be making more money than he would in rugby unless he went and played in France. And even then, it wouldn't be too long if he's in any way decent to maybe get a bit more than that. Uh, but yeah, big surprise, particularly with the Six Nations on the horizon, because he's stepping away now, so he won't be representing Wales at that competition. And apparently this decision was made on fairly short notice, like the uh, Wales head coach... Uh, did not know about this basically this morning uh, when he was about to announce who his team was going to be for the Six Nations. It's a couple of years out from the Lions, which is kind of probably the second prestigious competition for British and Irish players outside of the World Cup. Uh, though we are just coming off a World Cup, so maybe something open there. So I don't know if like uh, Henry Hodgson or someone like that was in his ear over the weekend and just got him to go. But like, look, the, the upside as an NFL player is just completely out of the stratosphere as a rugby player, rugby in Wales and in England, to be honest, as well, is in a pretty bad place. Uh, he plays his club rugby in England, uh, you know, so and his team is, there's there's idea that it might go bankrupt, which several rugby teams have. Uh, so like, you know, uh, like a like basically the highest paid rugby players like I think it's someone like um, Finn Russell for Scotland makes about a million quid a year. That's like the minimum veteran in the NFL. So yeah, if he could somehow finagle his way onto an actual roster within the next two to three years, then the, the upside is infinitely more than yeah. in the rugby world. Uh, so I completely understand it. And even if he just stays on a practice squad, because uh, you get an exemption for these international players for three years, I think, um, he'd basically be picking up 200k a year, which would be pretty comparable. He'd probably get make a bit more in rugby, but not that much more. And obviously with not any of that upside. So look, he's an amazing player, really a dynamic winger. Um, so would probably sketch as someone who would you'd hope be a returner, maybe a receiver, um, kind of weapon type player. Uh, but look, a long pad ahead of them. We've seen plenty of these rugby players go in and not quite make the impact that you would like. But uh, certainly he's got the raw talent that uh, he's had a, got a shot. Yeah. And you, you have to imagine that, that if this guy, if he succeeds or becomes anyway successful, it's, it's kind of an interesting test case that I think might draw other people in because if the financial pull is this strong that they can pull a player, a prime player just almost at the start in a way of his of his career uh it's only a matter of time before many other people follow him so it could be the beginning of a, of a deluge and i think the nfl obviously would be pretty happy if something like that happened yeah. not so great for rugby but but pretty good for the NFL. <laughs> and this yeah. is this is a banner player this is the kind of player they'll be putting on the the Wales six nation promos and and match day guides and stuff like that so this is a you know for rugby this is devastating i would say uh, potentially especially if he doesn't never comes back yeah. um for the nfl it's, it's barely a blip on the radar yeah uh so fuck you rugby we'll take him uh <laughs> no one no one is 18 minutes into this podcast and going man i thought this was about the other fall sport it's weird uh let's move on and have a look at the wild card weekend <laughs> So first up, we have Cleveland at Houston at 14 to 45. This was a very one-sided affair. Uh, there was two pick sixes in a row from the Houston defense that pretty much just 
killed it early on. Uh, Flacco reverted back to old school Flacco form. He still had 300 yards and a touchdown, but the uh, two interceptions, one was when pressure was on him, the other one was a defender just completely undercut his route. Uh, if you want to have a good laugh, go look at the video of that. The defender's stance was uh, Joe Flacco's vision is based on movement, stood entirely still <laughs> until the ball was being thrown and then stepped in front of it. Uh, it was. I didn't it was, know he was literally a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stroud looked incredible on this. Uh, 274 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, it could have been more, but they used a lot of goal line stuff as well. Uh, it was just absolutely tearing apart this vaunted Cleveland defense. They had zero turnovers and sacks. Uh, JOK was playing his heart out in this game. He was getting into the backfield, tackles for an loss and stuff, but it just wasn't enough. Um, Stroud did phenomenal against the rush as well. He threw a lot of balls into tight windows while like getting hit by people, so it was uh, very impressive. Uh, he had big plays to Nico Collins, who had 96 yards and a touchdown, as well as all the other players, and they actually got the, the running game going fairly decently as well, so fortunately, Cleveland it was a it was a hurdle too far for them but for Houston like we thought that they'd be competitive in this game I uh, didn't think that they would be coming out this dominant uh, I it's it's hard to separate out that like this was definitely a misstep from the Cleveland defense and that like Houston were able to exploit it but like it, it, it's, it's hard to figure out how good Houston would look against some other teams but we'll, we will be talking about that I suppose when we get to the previews um I I think I put like it's a 31 point difference. I don't think there's 31 points of difference between these two teams uh, completely. I think Cleveland, their defense just shit the bed on this one. I don't think Houston is in a standard run a 45 point team. Oh, yeah, I, I, the Texans side of it is is the is their big question mark coming out of this situation as to how good are they and how much can CJ Stroud take them because because I think that that is the the, the X factor in play here is CJ Stroud. He's he's just magic, right? He's the guy who makes things happen, and it's it's pretty incredible for a, a rookie player to have just slided so comfortably into superstar status, into you know dominating playoff games status uh, so early. And the the question, I guess, is, is you know where's the ceiling on this guy if this this is his rookie year? Uh, and so the Tex, I think this for this season for the Texans though it is. It, there's no need to talk about ceilings or no need to think talk about what's possible or no need to think about is this an opportunity to win a championship because they're, if the guy is this good, they're going to get multiple opportunities. This year is about just having fun with this team and seeing how far it goes, bringing the game to everybody. You know, Basically, they have nothing to lose at this point. This season was supposed to be you know, a rebuilding year or a write-off or whatever, and now they're, they're in a divisional game that they have a, you know, a decent chance of, of maybe winning. So... They're going to be a very fun team to watch for the rest of the playoffs and particularly going to be a very fun team, a very dangerous team for other teams to play because they have nothing to lose and it's a bunch of young guys having fun. Uh, really, yeah, great for Stroud, but I also think you need to give kudos to the defense. I talked last week about how their run game, which had been the strength of this defense all season, kind of disappeared against the Colts and almost cost them uh, this place in the playoffs. They really rediscovered their mojo. They locked down that defense. They forced Cleveland to throw the ball and they forced, you know, old man Flacco to, to you know, win the game on his own and expose old man Flacco as, you know, the thing, all the bad things that we didn't want to say about Joe Flacco while he was being elite dragon Joe Flacco. The fact that he's aging, that he's immobile, that he is occasionally prone to some bad mistakes of judgment and throws uh, some awful balls. So so all credit to defense on that side. And also, I mean, you gotta you got to give props. I mean, 
me. Karma is a bitch here. This defensive star of this game, Will Anderson, was one of the draft picks that the Browns traded away to the Texans uh, in order to get uh, Deshaun Watson. So this is this literally is the Deshaun Watson ghost coming back to haunt Cleveland uh, in in the face of a, a really exciting young team led by Watson's replacement quarterback, who looks a thousand times better uh, than Watson ever did. So for for Texans, it's have have some fun, see how far this goes. In terms of Cleveland, I mean, this is a really strange spot for them to find themselves in now because because whatever this team was, and obviously this team was designed to be Deshaun Watson's vehicle, uh, the questions have to be asked now about how far this team can actually go um, because you got this situation. We got you got a, a what we assumed was a really good defense coming into their first big postseason kind of test and they just they barely did a finger on Stroud. They, they really did nothing whatsoever uh, to stop the, the Houston offense and that's got to be a huge you know question mark for the Browns in terms of how they perceive themselves uh, in the defensive side uh, and on the offensive side it's it's you know if the run game's not working the pass game here just absolutely you know had nowhere to go whatsoever and the Browns are designed to be a front-running team and when they got behind here they're, they're not really designed to chase games for the Browns the worry I think is that players are starting to get older now you know everyone's going to come back a year older that the, this is maybe a peak year for this team that has now been lost the question is how many more opportunities are going to get because this was a very very good Browns team despite the you know the QB changes despite the injuries that they faced and they come up into a, a major playoff game and they get the floor wiped by them by this team that nobody gave a chance to at the start of the season so this from the Browns perspective this one will feel like one that got away and they're going to have to start to worry about how many more they're going to get uh, in this cycle uh, and albeit how good a coach Stefanski and his and his coaching team are you know opportunities like this don't come up every day for the Texans I mean yeah just just have fun see how far this goes because it seems like the only way is up for this team the house money you know the Houston they've been playing free and wild and they you know i think had a really good game here i think you know we were kind of denied i think a more fun game like those two pick sixes in a row at the beginning of the second half obviously just killed it as a contest and then what had been a pretty exciting first half albeit one that even then houston had the better of i think they were up by 10 at the half um but it felt like you know cleveland they still had a chance to come back but i did think you see why the nfl now covets you know quarterbacks like stroud quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and I, I am willing to kind of say Stroud is already showing that kind of uh, Mahomesian you know it factor where this guy could genuinely be a superstar but you want to draft these guys over the Flaccos of the world like the guys that you were drafting like 10-15 years ago because you know when Joe Flacco when the thing when the play breaks down and you get to Joe Flacco he falls over basically like even Tom Brady the, the greatest of all time if you got him he curled you know he curled up and he, he fell over um these guys you know the pressure you can get a lot of pressure on them uh, but yet still they will make things happen i think as you said rightly connor there was multiple times especially in that first half where you know the pocket was collapsing around him he'd do a little shimmy and then he would jump uh, sometimes you know yeah sometimes with good uh, mechanics but sometimes even off his back foot you know he could still make a throw into a tight window uh, to nico collins and others like i said the brevin jordan um touchdown very little of this was manufactured for him this was all cj stride basically having to do the rough sledding himself alongside a little bit of assisting of some there was and a he had, handful and he, of and he had good one runs. big deep shot that was slightly off it could have been more like it could have been another one and that was an yeah off, off, like that was that was an under pressure throw that just like just sailed on him a little bit like it was really impressive exactly and like that's kind of like you know he, he wasn't on a good platform then he did he overthrew the guy 
Um, like that's the kind of level of talent we're talking about here. And his accuracy is just off the charts. It feels like off any platform. So he just has that. You know, he obviously has a really good understanding of this offense. He's incredibly accurate, and he's able to make throws under high pressure and with good pocket presence to kind of maximize every like microsecond that he needs to make the big plays. And yeah, and basically completely neutralize this supposedly you know elite Cleveland defense. Albeit it is it is worse on the on the road this year. You know, zero turnovers, zero sacks, as he said outside of Uzukoromoa, it didn't feel like anyone did anything. Like Miles Garrett was basically wiped off the the face of the earth by Larry Tunsil who won that battle easily i would say easily and basically you just saw you know jim schwartz look absolutely bamboozled by what he was coming against in cj stroud and the rest of this offense and yeah nico collins is a really good receiver but he's been made look like a superstar because he's playing with cj stroud and then you know on the other hand you know cleveland don't have those backups they don't have that x factor and it's i think it's a weird situation for cleveland because this is obviously kind of a, a magical run given all the things that have gone against them you know losing Mick chubb uh, losing their starting quarterback going through a whole bunch of other quarterbacks you know I don't think they ever expected to get to 11 and 5 and having a chance to maybe take a run uh, but it doesn't mean anything for next year because you know <laughs> when those players come back are they actually gonna be good like Nick Chubb will probably still be good I'll be coming up a major injury but the Deshaun Watson will have to go back in because you're paying him all that guaranteed money is Deshaun Watson still gonna be you know bad Deshaun Watson in the play in the sense of uh, on the field he's obviously just bad in general off the field uh, but uh, you're talking there about you've learned nothing about what the future this team is from this run except that Stefanski is a good coach which I think you already knew and I think they would have been foolish to fire him even if they had a bad season this year uh, but you see that you know you know like you see why guys like Flacco don't make any sense of quarterback but outside that for Cleveland I don't know what their future is I think they are a very talented roster but the you know the bills are piling up for these like elite players over time they obviously have that huge quarterback contract so the cap is going to be a major issue for the next for possibly three four years um so you know it was a nice story but it ends against a, an exciting story and a team in Houston which is on the ascension and which has a future Cleveland's future I, I don't know it looks pretty grim to me yeah, well, Cleveland future is we're just going to go back to booing them because it's Sean Watson. Like, you know? <laughs> uh, next up, Miami at Kansas City, uh, seven to twenty-six. This was cold, cold, cold. Uh, it was freezing conditions here. Uh, unfortunately, that did not bode well for Miami. Uh, Mahomes had 262 yards and a touchdown through the air as well as 41 on the ground rushing. I think there was 41 in two carries as well. Uh, and Kansas City is kind of led with uh, a combination of Rice and Pacheco to kind of get this done. Rice, uh, his first playoff game, 130 yards, eight receptions and a touchdown. Pacheco had 89 yards and a touchdown. Even Kelsey got into it 71 yards, although he did have a drop uh, down the red zone that was a bit worrying and maybe another dropper miscommunication earlier on so chiefs offense kind of seemed to be prepared for this they came out maybe passing a little bit more than we would have expected in the weather and you know given this season <laughs> passing seems like maybe not our best call but it worked out very well and they were able to grind down uh the Miami Dolphins Tua had 199 yards a touchdown and an interception but it at some point flatters it even that that line because I don't think there was ever really much happening from the miami side on offense in this game the kansas city defense were just hammering them uh the the hill didn't really get up to much he had his touchdown on a, a 53 yarder but that was a ball that was massively underthrown by tua and he came back to it and just hill himself made the play in it uh it was just very much a massive mismatch uh more so than i think we've seen this season and some of it comes down to the weather miami are just not 
well equipped as we've talked about a couple of times to play in a style that they don't want to play in um but even more so than that like they didn't even play within themselves of what they could do in that spot like Tua looked off they've got question marks coming out their arse about him now going into the offseason because you know they're gonna have to give him a lot of money um and do you want to give him a lot of money if their record in december is not great their record in cold weather is not great um it's just a bit of a mess from the kansas city side positive stuff the offense looked good rice was working well they ran the ball effectively uh like Mahomes was quite tough in this game. It was it was good, but they still left um, points on the field, which was a bit of disappointment. They had a lot of field goals in this. Uh, I think was it five field goals for Butker or something along those lines. So mm. it was um, a lot of kicking, and in a few of those instances, it very much felt like they were moving with ease between the twenties, and then just the red zone offense wasn't really working. And I don't know if it's that they don't have enough pass catching out of the backfield without Jarek McKinnon there or or what, but particularly in the late next stage uh, given they're going to be playing the bills who have been on a little bit of a heater you're going to need to see more of those drives turn into seven and not into three i think i think that's accurate but i would also say firstly a couple of things just went you know against you you had a touchdown pull back on a flag you had the drop from kelsey that you mentioned and i also just a general sense i think the chiefs knew they could beat Miami. Miami just weren't here to play. Like Miami are lucky that there's two NFC's teams that will consume the media environment for the next month, if not longer, um, because Miami's collapse down the stretch has been pretty terrible. And like, look, there are excuses. Like the defense has, has you know, suffered a huge amount of injuries. They're basically down to bare bones there. Uh, Hill is carrying a knock. Waddle is carrying a knock. Mostert's carrying a knock. Uh, you know, like Tua, ironically, is the only person who's been staying healthy this year, it feels like, on that offense. Uh, but they just didn't look like they wanted to be there. And I get it, because it was fucking freezing. That field looked like it had been scalded, uh, effectively, uh, from the cold. It was effectively more like a tundra than, than an actual uh, football field. But even given that, this is the playoffs, like, and they just feel like they've, they, 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 they fell into the playoffs and they didn't have anything left in the tank to even give Kansas City half a game. And so Kansas City came out and you said they were throwing a, throwing the ball a fair amount around the yard, you know, and you're just talking about, you know, you wouldn't necessarily trust every quarterback to do that, given that, you know, the ball the ball probably felt more like a rock than an actual, you know, piece of letter or you know, fake letter, whatever it is these days. Uh, but, you know, Mahomes is, you know, for reason, the only active quarterback who has any chance of, you know, rivaling Tom Brady for the greatest of all time, let's be frank. Uh, and he was very effective in this game um he had like two rushes for 41 yards that kind of shows his backup plan but uh, thankfully in this game some of the you know actual plan plans were actually working out well enough uh, rice who's obviously had a great end of the season um had the explosive plays 130 overall like he just was getting those big plays that i think you know they, they've been missing especially yards after the catch which they were kind of the foundation of the of the last year of hill and then the year after hill suddenly having anyone who does that is such a huge bump over what they had in the middle of the season where it felt like no one could do that surely you would love kelsey to kind of pick it up again i think he was you know the things he caught here were pretty good and there were signs of hope there but he's still not quite you know travis kelsey and then yeah like they didn't go like you know they, they passed a bit early on but i think you know they were very happy to run the ball um when needed they weren't like i think they realized miami were like we think they're gonna run the ball so we're like protecting against that with the limited resources they had to do so um, and then once they backed off just run the ball and even though pacheco had a lot of you know stopped at the line they kept at it and they stuck with it and then that kind of you know the old school football idea of you know that opens up the pass game as it were it's not you know 
you know, three, four years ago, Mahomes, like explosives all over the place, but it works and it's what teams are forcing them to do for now, you know, two, three seasons. And it's good to see it's actually finally working to some extent down the back stretch. Uh, but for Miami, look, nothing. They, as you said, they had that like 50 yard kind of lucky touchdown to Hill who just kind of, you know, came back for it and then did a bit of his own, you know, Hill magic. But he had a number of drops in this game as well. He, you know, he, he's gone a bit soft down in Miami, but he didn't look quite as comfortable as you'd expect for someone who obviously had a lot of experience in Kansas City and to a, Look, Tua, you know, Tua is Tua, like, right? Like, Tua is incredibly good when the game plan is working, but when the game plan isn't working, uh, much like, as I said, the kind of evolution of quarterbacks from old school guys to new school guys, he doesn't have much left in his locker. And I get he can't really run the ball anymore because, you know, the reason he stayed healthy is because he's been avoiding those concussions, avoiding those hits. But, you know, if he's not able to run at all, if he's not willing to run at all, that's just a huge, like, cutoff of the playbook for a modern NFL offense. And so you're just relying on the fact that you have the super explosive hill and the super explosive at Waddle and you hope an effective run game to kind of carry the load. But, you know, we know in the modern NFL to win with a quarterback like Tua, and I think, like, Tua kind of now feels like Mike McDaniel's Jimmy G. He's good enough. You might even make it to a Super Bowl one day if everything goes right with you, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be the hard mode way of doing this. And if you look on the other side um, with Mahomes or you look at CJ Stroud in the last game, you know, doing it with guys like that, a whole lot easier but it sounds like they want to give him an extension it sounds like they probably realize it's the best that they have like you know whatever it costs to get something better will be so exorbitant that you know you don't want to end up like the deshaun watson situation but it does feel like you know you have a guy who's never going to be in that top tier and the second tier guys like you know it's never it's not a problem but i don't know if it's going to be the solution for them yeah i mean it's it didn't need to be this way right that the dolphins could have had a nice, comfortable wild card game in 70 degree weather in Miami, where Tua could throw the ball a reasonable amount uh, and not be exposed as a fraud. Instead, they blew it. They, they, the reason they lost this game is because they lost last week against the Bills and they blew the division and they blew home field. And this is why it matters. This is why it's useful to be able to play in your own stadium in playoff games, especially when you're a team like Miami, who for some reason is in completely incapable of playing uh, in, in cold weather uh, conditions. And given that they play in a division where they have th the opponents, three opponents who play in, in the cold weather north, that is not a very good uh, a weakness for this team um, to have. Um, given that, though, the very first thing that Dolphins should be doing is having a game plan. When you're stuck in, okay, your team is not a cold weather team. That's fine. It's it's not it's not the best situation to be in. But you make the most of what you have. In this weather, you run the ball. Like I do not understand what the Dolphins' game plan was to to lean so heavily on the pass when literally the only person who could throw the ball out there was Pat Mahomes. And that's because he's Pat Mahomes. Like they they really struggled to sustain any drives i think they were like four out of 18 on third or fourth downs like they, they they were consistently chasing you know third and six or whatever they couldn't get anything going with waddle uh coming back post-injury tyreek hill had one moment of magic but otherwise was kept quiet but they just simply did not have the right game plan for a game like this so you can talk about how the players just you know are used to different weather conditions or you know the, the, their bodies are used to playing in warm, warm weather it's also a coaching thing is that you come in with a game plan and the dolphins i mean the reason they scored seven points was partly because the kansas city defense is really good but partly because the dolphins offensive plan was absolute and utter garbage and that's something that's on mike mcdonald and i have a lot of time for him as a coach and i and i think he's doing some very interesting things on the offensive side and certainly having a better quarterback uh, is going to 
you know help him down the stretch if he wants to go in that direction. But in a game like this, you gotta take you gotta take the blame uh, when your team does the exact wrong thing on offense consistently for the entire game. And it's not just about you can talk about oh they were chasing the games so and they had to throw the ball, but when throwing the ball wasn't working, you know it just it doesn't make any sense. It's just stupid and doesn't make any sense. In terms of Kansas City. I we still don't know how good this team really is, but I am starting to have a sneaking feeling they're just going to grind their way to a Super Bowl. Like, I wonder if, as I, I think I talked about this a few weeks ago, is this the blueprint for success, right? Uh, like, legit lockdown defense, run the ball, use Pacheco to do all these kind of things, kick shitloads of field goals, use Pat Mahomes when you get into desperate situations and you need his magic, and you win games, like... 26-7 or, you know, uh, you know, 19-16 or whatever. Like, I think this is the, the way, if Kansas City are going to win the Super Bowl this year, if they're going to, if going to, if they're going to retain the championship, this is how, this is the, this is how they're going to do it, right? Um, because they don't have the offensive personnel to avoid all the errors that they're going to be making in terms of bad route running or drop balls or whatever, all the various problems that they've had throughout the season. Uh, and the red zone does not see this team to have no idea how to score touchdowns in the red zone. They have serious efficiency problems. And I really think the way for Kansas City is just to roll with that. Say, look, this is the limitations that this team has. Given all these limitations, we're still a really good team, and let's go with it. And I think if they do that, they could grind games out. They could certainly grind down the Bills, they could grind down the Ravens, and they could not working anymore. And they've somehow stumbled into this way of winning it. It's not pretty. And it's not Kansas City, but I do think it could be successful because they have the piece, they have all the pieces they need to make this work. And as this showed, when they do play this way, they are a lot better than than uh, a lot of the opponents that they're facing. So it's it's interesting to see, and I do have a kind of a sneaky feeling that even for all their tribulations, it's, it could be it end up being another uh, Kansas City uh, championship uh, at, at at the end of the day. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I've I've been on the uh, McDaniel's is not actually that good a head coach train for a good year. So at this point, uh, I yeah, I, I I don't massively rate him to be honest. But uh, it's nice to see that, you know, uh, some other people are coming around to that way of thinking at times. Uh, Green Bay at Dallas is up next. Forty-eight to thirty-two is a scoreline that does not reflect just how soundly Dallas's arses got battered in this one. Uh, they were humiliated by Jordan Love, who we talked about how he rounded into form towards the back end of the season, had been scoring lots of touchdowns and was really kind of entering into that upper tier of quarterbacks. He had 272 yards and three touchdowns and absolutely tears apart this vaulted Dallas defense. Uh, Romeo Dubs, who's had a fairly tasty season, had a really, really big game. He had 151 yards and a touchdown. Anytime they were kind of stuck for where to put the ball, he was just finding space in between linebackers or finding that everyone had rushed to one side and he was just sitting on his own. Uh, so they absolutely just shredded the zone coverage. Uh, Jones at 131 and three touchdowns on the ground. Like this was, I couldn't get over how easy it was for Green Bay. They were just like, it seemed like it was essentially effortless for them to be able to move the ball on this Dallas team. Uh, Dallas on the other side just like didn't really have any response at all. So the first half was mostly characterized by Dak not really being able to get on the same page as CeeDee Lamb. And that has been kind of their offense for, for the season. He finishes with a solid looking scoreline, 403 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions. But the majority of that came in in complete garbage time. Uh, the two interceptions were just were just brutal uh the pick six at the final play of the half just absolutely killing them uh they came out in the second half they adjusted a little bit they started to see um 
started to see a few bits go their way. Like CeeDee Lamb started to get the ball a little bit more. Uh, due to flag, like this would probably have done like zero for them in the first half if it hadn't been the refs helping them out quite a lot on the final drive even their touchdown there was false starts in it that weren't called and stuff it was just it was scrappy and like we were just kind of I, I know there's a lot of Dallas fans out there and all kind of stuff but like we were just enjoying watching the cuts to uh to Jerry Jones's box and him getting increasingly more furious as this went on um this could well be uh McCarthy's final game we were saying early in the season we thought that if they didn't go deep like we kind of thought nfc championship slash super bowl appearance was what they had to do for mccarthy to keep his job like to 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 kind of stumble your way into winning the division get a home game and then get absolutely spanked by the youngest roster in the nfl and an old rival in green bay who you've had these kind of nightmares of beforehand like you can just imagine jerry looking at this going it's happening again it's happening again we've tried to get young we've tried to turn it around and it's happening again so this was atrocious for Dallas. Uh, I imagine there's going to be coaching changes happening there. For Green Bay, super duper exciting. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. Him and CJ Stroud had, I think there's only a difference of three yards in their entire lines. They had the same number of completions, same number of uh, touchdowns. It was remarkable. And it's like Fitz said for, for Houston, there was house money. Green Dallas came into this kind of tense, terrified, knowing that they couldn't fuck up. Green Bay came into this and went, this is great, let's do it, boys. And they just went crazy and just moved at will. Uh, Green Bay are a team that I would not want to be playing in the playoffs right now. They are energetic, they're young, they're explosive, and they have literally nothing to lose. Uh, So, yeah, best of luck. I think that's going to make for a great matchup against San Francisco next week. For Dallas, big changes incoming, uh, I think. And if there isn't, well, I guess we'll just get this again next year. Well, even if there isn't, some people are probably leaving Dan Quinn, for example, uh, for other opportunities. I, I, how, how can the Seahawks watch this game and go, that defense is what we need in our organization? Look, that's a separate question. We'll talk about that if it happens. <laughs> but uh, just saying, like, even if, even if McCarthy somehow does survive, I think you'll see some changes coming anyway. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're getting away from, from the main thing here that hating on teams is one of like the most fundamental parts of, of a sports fan's uh, experience. For me, as a soccer fan, it's, it's getting to watch in- the English national team get bombed out of major international tournaments or getting to watch Paris Saint-Germain melt down every single year in the Champions League. And I think we can add that the Dallas playoff uh, disaster bowl uh, to that yearly uh, kind of uh, tradition now because this of all the ways I've watched Dallas go out of the playoffs this one was by far the most hilarious because of how utterly awful they were this has been a season where the Cowboys whatever about there's always a sense the Cowboys go this is our year this is our year or whatever this was the year where they finally I think felt that legitimately maybe they had solved some of their problems They they had an elite defense and they had an offense that was fi- had finally figured out how to make the most out of Dak Prescott uh, and was, was looking dynamic. They managed to win their division and they had, you know, they were, you, you know, they were imperious at home, two years unbeaten at home or whatever. And, you know, all they had to do was beat this, you know, plucky Packers team that, that shouldn't even be here because they're, you know, they're not that good and, uh, and uh, they're way ahead of their own. A trajectory and they just got obliterated like like I, I just it's it's so hard to know even where to begin with the Cowboys where things went went badly was it just like sheer like laziness or arrogance that to believe they just had to walk into the building 
and they'd win. Um, because if you look at the game plan, it's just, there's just no sense whatsoever to the Cowboys' game plan as to how they expected to win this game. The offense was, was incredibly flat. They, did, they didn't seem to have any idea of how to do things uh, on, on the offensive uh, side. But the way bigger problem here, and, and this maybe speaks to the, the issues about Dan Quinn, is what the hell was that defensive plan at all? This incredibly zone-heavy, massive spacing, lack of aggression approach where they just allowed Aaron Jones to just ram the ball down their throat enough to, to allow Jordan Love to set up some of his play. Like, they just basically left the field open on the, on the defensive side for the Packers to do whatever they want. And, I, and it was just, it was awful. It was, it was just... I think- I think one of my favorite parts was just watching Micah Parsons inexplicably get absolutely destroyed by like rookie tight end Tyler Kraft <laughs> constantly. But yeah, so th- I mean, there absolutely was was execution by the players as well. But I think underneath that there was a, just a complete failure on the coaching front to plan for this game in any kind of serious way and actually come up with a game plan that would actually succeed. Because on the defensive side, they just not enough pressure on love that they, they they left huge spaces like one of the really weird things was love was finding receivers in incredibly wide open spaces all the time and some of the analysis i've seen online argues that a, a lot of that's how lafleur drew up some very nice pass plays to open up the spaces but the cowboys just completely not only failed to plan for it in the first place but then failed to adjust when it was happening uh it was just it's just it was just one of the worst performances in a playoff game I, I possibly have ever seen it's definitely from a team that was considered a heavy a heavy favorite in the game and a strong contender to win the super bowl this is one of the most embarrassing meltdowns um, i think i've ever seen and definitely big season ahead a lot of difficult decisions you have to imagine mike mccarthy uh is if he's not gone he's certainly sitting on an incredibly hot seat because you know 12 win seasons are, are nothing to you know shake their stick at and they gotta give credit for that but if you can't convert 12 win seasons into even winning you know a playoff game that's a really bad sense because they've had three years now of McCarthy three years of 12 win seasons and the only team they've beaten in the playoffs in three years were the eight and nine books last year who shouldn't have been in the playoffs at all because they weren't a playoff team so the Cowboys this this entire project I think has faced its Waterloo and there might be massive changes down the line. In terms of the Packers, the, the exact opposite. They had an incredibly effective game plan. They were like, we'll use the run game to control the clock, to control the down and distance. It allows us to limit Dallas's defensive aggressiveness because Dallas can't really get that aggressive unless it's like third down and six or whatever. And then they'll, they'll murder you. We'll use Aaron Jones to just, he makes a huge difference for this team in terms of what the one game can do to kind of lead the offense. And we won't lean too heavily on Jordan Love, but we, when we ask things, when LaFleur went, when I asked things of him, I'll make sure he'll be able to do what he, what he did. And I talked talk about that in terms of the, the, you know, the pass plays that set up and receivers and Love did absolutely everything that was asked of him. And O-line, whose entire job seemed to be to keep Micah Parsons um, out of the game. And it just, it just worked perfectly. And you're right, this Packers team, there is a bit of the Texans energy in terms of this team is... Looks, dan- looks like a dangerous kind of well, you know, uh, coalesced team with a, you know, not just a game plan, but a solid team spirit who are going to be a nightmare to play against because they're never going to give up and they have nothing to lose. And they're just going to go on a run and see how far this goes. Because this team, whatever about anyone else, this team is like two or three years ahead of where it should be in terms uh, of, of its uh, of its of its kind of progression and development plan. So all credit to the Packers. They're going to be a fun team to watch down the line. But my God. I just don't know what's wrong with the Cowboys' psyche that they can let something like this happen. Because this does not happen unless there are serious problems 
uh, in the kind of in the, the the you know the institutional you know uh, ethos in the way they perceive things because this was a complete pl a failure to plan for the uh, opposition they were facing and they were humiliated uh, on the biggest stage and they absolutely deserve to be humiliated. Yeah, a classic. The future is now, old man. Game where Mike McCarthy sees his future crumble against the sexy coach who replaced him with his sexy cheaper quarterback and his sexy cheaper weapons and just by the way Dak I think is up for a contract extension at the end of next year so he'll probably be looking for his money this offseason so yeah <laughs> the Cowboys are are an interesting place this is a team that is really in its peak if you look at the kind of age profile of their their stars and they shit the bed as you said I think you know like obviously Sean has emphasized it much, but it is worth emphasizing how much they shit the bed on the defense. Like Romeo Dodds was just kind of wandering into like massive gaps in the zone. He looked kind of surprised almost at times that he was just like, oh, I'll just walk over here. Oh, I'm completely like there's no player for like 10 meters yeah, in the, any direction. The, the, the one that the, 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 the cross field pass to the right hand side where there was literally no defender in 15, yeah. 18 yards. And, of him. and it was just him kind of ambling up onto the right. He wasn't even he, like it almost felt like he was just lazily doing the route and then at the end would just peel off and the defenders just weren't so so unused to the zone because this is usually a man defense the rumors maybe they were trying to cover up for Stefan Gilmore being injured they didn't feel like they could play man but they were not ready for this and this is a defense that as best is all about being aggressive all about big aggressive plays and they just went completely against type which uh, at the boat worst of boat worlds they allowed the the guys to run the ball really well and they allowed the, the receivers to be in acres of space and and love didn't have to do much it felt like for large parts of this game but you did see splashes to be fair love uh you know i think the touchdown to the tight end particular over the middle you do see the flashes of the talent that he has underneath but right now this felt like a complete and utter victory for matt lafleur over dan quinn and basically by extension mike mccarthy and on the other hand like i don't you know dak just yeah didn't seem to be at the races at all early on didn't seem to be able to get anything going i think joe barry's defense actually been solid for green bay over the last three weeks i think we can officially say it's not a complete mirage um like that something has been changed here an adjustment has been made which is obviously not something he's been good at in the past i don't we'll see against obviously san francisco how much we can stretch that but obviously this defense is playing up to roughly the level you would expect given the amount of talent they have there and for you know zero points right until the last play of the half just utter humiliation uh for dallas including that pick six uh, within the two minute warning which is kind of i feel like when the game was officially over um so yeah for mike mccarthy you know after so much hope uh like in this season and kind of feeling like Dak had finally got the system and obviously he's had a really good season Dak, like probably second in mvp voting and when we get to that stage you know to have it end this way like i think the defense probably has to take the worst of it because that's supposed to be an elite unit and it shot the bed completely and dan quinn has to take a lot of hate but you know the offense didn't exactly shower itself in glory this is a complete and utter implosion from dallas and yeah it was hilarious basically um and it's just we get to watch the entire soap opera uh probably play out over the next rest of this off season because you know something stupid's gonna happen um and I'm, I'm just waiting to see it and yeah jerry jones you know all the way back to when he uh he fired uh who was the head coach he fired who won a super bowl for him uh jimmy johnson, jimmy johnson. uh you know he he wanted the power he wanted to prove this is my team i can win super bowls now we're here what like 20 30 years later no you fucking can't jerry and now you're very close to the grim reaper um and uh you know you've pretty much got everything you deserved yeah 
Next up, Rams at Detroit. Finally, a game that's not got three point uh, three scores in the difference. Twenty three to twenty four. This one was very close. Detroit have their first playoff win since nineteen ninety one, and it was a hell of a game. Big shootout happening. Uh, Stafford kind of. We said he couldn't. He had, to, he had to have a very good game, and he did. 367 yards and two touchdowns but unfortunately just at the tail end couldn't connect with Puka Nakua to, 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 on a long third down to kind of close it out uh, there's some calls possibly for, for pass interference on that to be honest but uh, Nakua had a great game 181 yards and a touchdown uh, he is some fine for a fifth rounder you gotta say uh, Goff decided to not give us a Jared Goof game he had 277 yards and a touchdown uh, hammering into Amon Ra quite a lot 110 yards there but they just kind of leaned on the run game and got it done uh, it was kind of a very strong start from them and they seemed to kind of you know get 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 the ball rolling well but then they kind of just fell off a little bit and the, the, the Rams started to catch up with them a little bit it was just a uh, it's a little bit of a little bit of a, a kind of a, a terrifying, you know, that thing where like uh, the, the the horror trope of the the constant ongoing slow moving menace coming towards you. So <laughs> you had Detroit who were like on a high. The place was rocking. They had three touchdowns to start. Everything was going great. And then they kind of got a bit tired. And then the the, the, the Rams have started to kind of creep up on them slower and slower and uh, I'd say that was you know <laughs> I'd say it was terrifying for all of the Detroit Lions fans there but it's a great win for them they uh, they you know get to move on to the next stage of the of the process the Rams like I don't know it's I think this is an overachieving year for them. I don't think they were expecting to... Well, obviously, within the building, maybe they thought they'd be better, but like none of us were expecting them to be this good this year. They found some real gems. They got a lot of young talent on that roster. I think... Uh, Sean might dispute the... He was pretty high on them. <laughs> yeah. Before he bottled it. <laughs> Before he bottled it and reversed it. Uh, but no, they, like, they've, they, you know, they've, they've, they've got a team to build into the future on here. Mm. Like, Nakua is a superstar. They've got lots of young talent. They're like... Maybe there's some question marks about how long Stafford has left in the tank and like team planning. Well, we'll get into that in the off season stuff a little bit more for them. But like they were competitive in this game. It was close. I'm just so happy to see Detroit do it. The uh, the, the post game speech in the locker room was uh, phenomenal for Detroit. And yeah, they are they are absolutely rolling rolling it now. And they are. They've got Tampa Bay up next, which means they've got a the, the handiest of the routes to 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 get to the uh, to get to the the NFC Championship game anyway. And I'm, I gotta say, guys, it's increasingly looking less and less silly that I picked the Lions as the NFC representative for the uh, for the Super Bowl this year. Well, I think you know this is a, a case study in resilience and obviously a stark contrast to what we saw in the last game from the Dallas Cowboys, another team that had a lot of pressure on them. Obviously, Detroit, you know, trying to banish literally three decades of failure to win a playoff game, finally getting a home playoff game after winning the division after so many years, and the pressure was on, and it would have been so easy for them in the second half of this game um, to fade away uh, completely, uh, to kind of to, to completely break, because, you know, they had such a hot start, like three touchdowns on all first three drives, and you kind of go in most games that would get you into a commanding lead and you'd feel almost comfortable 
Uh, but against this Rams team, it never felt like that way. It felt like Matt Stafford was here to play. He was playing at a really high level, and he's been playing that way for most of this season. He's playing probably his best football of his career, even better than what he's playing during his Super Bowl uh, season. Um, and yeah, we'll talk about the future in, the, in a moment. But like just this year, like he is definitely still in like the elite qua- qua- you know, quadrant of quarterbacks, and you want to keep him there. And but like you know, for Detroit, you know, the second half so tense you could feel the tension in the building because in the first half the fans were going wild and to be fair they were continuing to be wild on the, on the rams uh plays uh doing their job to keep make dead life difficult for stafford but you know you could feel the tension in the air um and then it's so, it was so easy in those cases to kind of fold in on yourself but they kept grinding at it they kept running the ball they kept doing their job um you know on the final rams drive um they made a really interesting decision um where uh, the rams failed to convert in fourth down in field goal range they got a holding penalty and they took the holding penalty made them go on third down took them out of go a uh, field goal range and probably helped with the fact that you know the rams don't trust their field goal kicker at all abraham Maher. um very likely he might have missed it anyway but you know they made that bold decision mcveigh chose to to punt it away um and then on the on the detroit's final drive you know they they run the ball a bit and then on second down not third down on second down they go for the killer shot to kind of that would basically won the game uh from goff to to amon raw and the kind of uh routes that they've been running so successfully over the middle uh, this entire season but it takes balls it takes guts it takes resiliency willing to risk everything to stop the clock and get you know potentially give the rams one last shot to get the win because they only needed a field goal here obviously to make that decision that's the the, the the dan campbell way and that's why we love this goddamn team because you know even at the even when things are darkest even when things are toughest they stick to who they are they know exactly who they are they're scrappy they're going to do it their way and they're going to they're going to do it the, the the lions way and they're going to win out well in this case thankfully because of that um and i think you know that's a huge testament to what this team could potentially do i think there's never going to be a situation where they're going to fold the deck chairs they're going to give up they're going to have an embarrassing loss like we saw from dallas this feels like a team that's going to keep fighting keep biting those ankles right to the very end but in this game i think they probably will face um you know this potentially you know like it's certainly next week's round you know we'll see you know they should win next week but obviously the, the playoffs are hard but certainly it's, it's a different level like this rams team so young basically an entire year of building up this completely new look team from the rams mcveigh afterwards was incredibly sanguine about the whole going out of the rails he looks like a guy who's re-energized with the idea of building a new basically uh dynasty uh with this huge tranche of young players obviously headlined by puka nakua who was out there like peak heinz word just like absolutely barreling over guys you know just being impossible to take down at times and you know matt stafford as i say just at the operations at quarterbacks we know they can play so unless his arm suddenly falls off for no reason that's happened but it's, it's rare um then i think you know certainly for next year and potentially a couple of more years you know with stafford there if donald wanagate's playing and with this new look offense and all these new young players obviously you're gonna be on incredibly cheap contracts for at least the next three or four years the rams do feel like a day team that's gonna be incredibly dangerous next year that's gonna do make some real noise next year because after all of this experience it's like doing it the hardest way possible from the ground up um they genuinely feel like you know this is a team that could go anywhere as long as stafford's willing to keep at it um and detroit you know t- to win a team against a team like that with obviously all the pressure on them and all the narratives about stafford coming back you know 
fair fucks because it's <laughs> you know like because this was such a tough game mentally and to come through it come through this test i think is a testament to what they've built in that franchise and well deserved for a team that obviously has suffered so much for so many years and to see their fans have that moment and they're just delighted just to have that win uh hopefully they do much more but uh, they get that win uh, i think david mccormick's the only one who wants the super bowl the rest are just happy to get the win uh it's good to have and even like the in the in the locker room afterwards it's like you're good enough for us or you're fucking good enough for us jared goff that was the words from from dan campbell that's the sense of this team you know underdogs forever but you know i think they can aspire to so much more now yeah i, I think the identity thing is is you've really hit the nail on the head with, with what it is not just about what this makes this lions team so good but why we like them so much is they they know who they are and they're, they're not ashamed of who they are and they're they're willing to fight for that identity and they're willing to fight for their team. And I think it comes down to trust. I think the players believed and, and rightly believed that Dan Campbell trust them. And when we think of, talk about Campbell being aggressive or, or doing things, you know, in an aggressive way, such as, you know, taking in that penalty to give them another shot at third down. That's a, that's a statement of trust is saying, I trust my defense to make this stop. Or when he tells Jared Goff to, you know, do the big throw on, on second down in a, in a key moment. He's, I trust you, Jared Goff, to make this throw. And even though Goff has had an up and down season, it was that trust that kind of tra transmuted towards him and made him do it, which you can contrast an awful lot with how Sean McVay treated Jared Goff as this thing that I must manage entirely because if I let him off the leash for, for five seconds, he'll go and do something stupid. And I think that's, that's the difference is that Campbell you know, he, he really gets his teams to, his team to buy into the project and then he trusts them to execute that. And you, you're really seeing it pay off now. I'm so happy for Jared Goff because he's, he's obviously had a, a very difficult time of the last few years, but to see him, him and Josh Reynolds in this game in like real fuck these guys mode, like, like we're going to show them what the mistake that they made and to really stand up uh, in front of your, your former teammates and to demonstrate how wrong they were to get rid of you was just on, on stage this big was just is a really a real testament uh, to what this what this team is they 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 also had a very good game plan especially early they had these coverage mismatches Amonra against Witherspoon Laporta against Hecht that they just exploited con consistently to the first half and I think the reason why the, the, the Lions didn't score too much in the second half is that to McVay's credit and his co coaching team's credit they did make some adjustments to try and shut down the very obvious situations they got the run game going early the Lions the, the first quarter was almost perfect um Aiden Hutchinson was a continuously big presence on the defense like like everyone knew what their job was knew that the game plan would work and executed and that is the difference between the Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys you the the Lions went in there knowing what they had to do and they did it and on the uh, at the key moments uh, his uh, Dan Campbell's player stepped up uh, in a way that Mike McCarthy's didn't whatsoever so I mean it, it really has opened up for them now and, and I have to admit Connor I didn't think the line I did think your call of the Lions going to make the Super Bowl when he made it in September was like ooh, I like this team but I don't like them that much and now it's like yeah you know all they really have to do they should be Tampa Bay they're good enough to be Tampa Bay and then it's it's a one-off game against you know San Fran or, or maybe Green Bay and you wouldn't bet against them if they can play like this because they definitely seem to have solved their their problems in terms of the defense, which was a bit of a mess, and Jared Goff having poor games in the middle of the season, that seems to have gone now, and they really feel like they're in a very good place and could go very far. In terms of the Rams, not an awful lot to add to what Ronan said. I do think we do need to give kudos for a really impressive coaching achievement. This team was in cap hell and has been in draft hell for about a decade, and yet 
McVeigh has built this incredible team of young players that that you know he's managed to, despite them, I think there's something like 75 million in dead cap uh, this year, and still he he built a team that was by the, by the end of the season good enough to compete at the highest levels of the NFC. Like I think if the season had gone on another month, the Rams could have gone definitely gone on a run because it, it really felt like they had figured out their identity and their game plan, and they were really in a, in a good place there. They just happened to run into a very good team here in the playoffs. Just one or two things that just didn't work out for them. The clock management issues, they had two timeouts lost on delays a game, which ended up being quite important at the end. And they they didn't pressure Goff enough. They, the pass rush just didn't do enough against Goff. Goff was 22 out of 22 when there wasn't any pressure, which just kind of demonstrates what the, the problem with, I guess, what the Rams are doing on the defensive side. And obviously the red zone struggles offensively were big. But with Nakua and the damage he does, with Stafford in the form that he's in, with McVeigh and what he's able to pull out of players and what these, these scouts, obviously they have very good scouts in terms of being able to find really talented rookies, uh, undervalued or whatever. Yeah, there's nothing to stop this Rams from team in two or three years being Super Bowl contenders once again, um, which is amazing given we said that they had kind of, they they thrown it all into the into the one championship ring and they were going to spend a decade rebuilding afterwards but it looks like it could only be two or three years before they're super competitive again so credit to McVay and his team for that but this day belongs to Detroit and long may it continue um of all the teams that I of all the teams that I really enjoy watching and want to win the, they're the guys that I really want to win the most and if they if they go all the way I don't think uh, I could be any happier uh with that outcome than any other yeah, uh, it would be, be heartbreaking if they get to the NFC Championship game against Green Bay and lose. Them. <laughs> Just, yeah, that uh, might actually the break like... them. <laughs> Cut the Nike. <laughs> oh, man. Then the specter of the past comes back to haunt them, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh at Buffalo is up next, 17-31. to 31. Buffalo absolutely rumble over a Pittsburgh team that had no business being in the playoffs. Uh, Allen had 203 yards and three touchdowns in the air and 74 yards and a touchdown on the ground and absolutely just bullied this Pittsburgh team. Obviously, this Pittsburgh defense uh, was a bit undermanned. TJ Watt wasn't there and stuff, but uh, like they just they just didn't have an answer to him. And the Buffalo defense worked really well as well. They had a fumble uh, recovery and interception and a sack. So like they were up 21 nothing. Uh, and I just I, I just turned off the game and went to bed and then caught the rest the following day. There was no no need for it. Uh, the key mistakes already just meant like it was never going to be. Uh, there wasn't really much of a route there unless Buffalo completely just turned off in the second half. Rudolph had 229 yards, two touchdowns, and obviously that interception we mentioned. Um, but yeah, Buffalo kind of did another little bit of a let's play for a little bit longer at the tail end of the game just to make sure that it was dead, dead at that stage. But um, there wasn't really much of a contest here. It was interesting to see Buffalo's defense uh, come up kind of big in a couple of spots here. because uh, It's a weird combo that you know, with all the injuries to that defensive side of the ball, there were question marks over, you know, would, would their scheme work? And it doesn't, but they've kind of changed that scheme around a little bit more. So now, like, they've gone from earlier in the season kind of being quite stingy in yardage and stuff like that through the air. Like, Mason Rudolph had over 200 yards in this game, but they've become more opportunistic on, like, you know, getting after the quarterback, forcing fumbles and things like that. So if they can keep that up, that's going to be a huge compliment to their ball, uh, ball game. But, like, even in this one, it didn't have to come out too often, but some of this was just Josh Allen ridiculousness. Uh, his ginormous run down the middle. There was some 
question marks apparently online about whether he was pretending to slide or not, but he wasn't. Like I've looked at the I've looked at the tape afterwards, and there's there's nothing there. It's just that he is a like a giant man who was running and looks a bit weird when he runs sometimes. That's all there is to it. Um, and I think was it the first touchdown or or, or was it on the early drive where like. The Pittsburgh just got a free rusher at him. They hit him, and the guy just didn't set his legs and rolled past him and couldn't bring him down. Like this superstar defense that Pittsburgh was built upon just came up absolutely empty in this game. Uh, whereas the Bills just looked pretty, pretty happy in it. Uh, they got the run game going with Cooks as well, which is good to see. That'll help them particularly if next week's game is going to be as cold weather as it's uh, currently scheduled to be. But yeah, this is uh, this is a Buffalo team that still doesn't look like barn burningly good or anything uh still relies a little bit on kind of weird plays to go their way but it works and it's been working for the last five or six weeks and it's going to keep working i think i i messaged into the group about the 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 tiktok that's doing the round so the bills are currently building a new stadium and it's just currently a giant hole in the ground and a, a fan fell into it before their win streak started so now every week since they've been fans sacrificing themselves down the pit to ensure that the bills win so i'm sure that there'll be a couple of bodies flinging themselves down there uh on on a sunday morning just to ensure that they're going to be able to lock it up against the Chiefs but this is a Buffalo team that's dangerous I just don't think they've had to play a full 60 minutes of football yet uh, and I'd be intrigued to see if that's what happens next Sunday if they have a full 60 minutes because consistency it's not it, it is the only question mark on this team they have the explosivity it's just do they have the consistency yeah, the, the 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 Bills sacrifice thing. It's I mean, it it's so much. It's very Bills as well, and it's it's good they're decided to do that sacrifice rather than the Al Qaeda sacrifice of flying planes into buildings in order to maintain their their winning streak. That's that's, a, that's against their head coach's wishes. <laughs> Look, all all I would say is after the admiration for Al Qaeda came out, their jihad has been going very successfully. Yeah, six and zero, oh, six and oh, undefeated jihad. Uh, the builds are um yeah so this game was like the one even though there were a lot of games that were um you know lopsided this weekend this was the one game where there definitely was a team who just wasn't good enough and it comes back again to this debate we've been having about the seventh seed and it's for every it seems like for every one seventh seed that's like the packers who are good and competitive you get f- like five teams like this who are just actually not playoff caliber uh, and i not really a real test of how good the builds are or how uh, how how much form they're in going into the, the rest of the playoffs. Um, the Bills, I mean, it wasn't the prettiest thing in the world. They they did have to grit it out at certain times. They did kind of let the Steelers sneak back into the game in the second half, and they had to kind of pull away again. But it was good to see, you know, it was a very good Josh Allen game in general. What I liked was his avoiding of mistakes. There's this real balance with Josh Allen between, you know, control take what's been given and then occasionally break out big plays and his entire thing i think is that he's never been quite sure of the of that balance of when he should do the safe thing and when he should do the risky thing but when it works like in this game when he he is definitely when his radar is functioning it, it's a huge factor and he's he's unstoppable he's probably at the moment maybe the best quarterback in the nfl at when he's in that in that particular zone and that will be the deciding factor for the bills this season as to whether Allen can continue to make the right decisions about when to take risks and when not to um, because I think it's such a huge part of what they do in this game I mean they built an early lead kind of allowed them to play it they wanted there will be tougher challenges down the stretch the Chiefs aren't going to give them any nearly as much uh, a leeway 
I would imagine. They've also maybe got an in history with injuries. They're really piling up now. I think their defense, they're down to like fifth string cornerbacks and stuff like that. Um, so that could really hurt them down the stretch. But they, they've already overcome injuries on the defensive side already, uh, as I talked about last week. So you got to maybe trust that the coaches will find solutions. But it's not the best place to be. And it's, it's such a weird thing that this suddenly, the Bills, after looking so good as championship contenders for two or three years, this season looking not quite so good. I think this is their best opportunity to win the, the championship. They've got the Chiefs at home, which they haven't had before. And if they beat them, then it's like, you know, they got to face a Ravens, possibly probably a Ravens team who are either a, a really – immature Texans team or a Ravens team who haven't quite made it work in the playoffs either. Um, so there's nothing to stop this team making a Super Bowl. And if they make it with Josh Allen playing the way he does, there's nothing to stop them winning it. So suddenly it's really opened up for the Bills as potentially winning winning it all. Um, not an awful lot to talk about the Steelers because they're just not good enough. Mason Rudolph, hopefully that's the end of that particular uh, experiment. Um, basically, they needed a perfect game to win this or to have any hope, and they gave 14 points up in turnovers that kind of cost them. Not having T.J. Watt was potentially crucial. I think they're like 1-11 when Watt doesn't play recently. One of the big things it has was that it, I think it moved some personnel around, and as a result, there were some miscommunications. I think Minka Fitzpatrick was playing slightly out of position, and, and that led to some miscommunications uh, that cost them in the secondary in terms of some of the touchdowns, just like so. The Steelers, I mean, it's they're they're in they're in Tom and Hell where they're like they're always be nine and eight because they can't they can't burn it down and rebuild and therefore they can't get any better than nine and eight. So they do have a bit of a question as about where they go from there. And I think Tomlin is entering his last year of his contract, so maybe there is a decision to be made not this year but possibly next year. Um, for the Bills, yeah, it's it's they definitely have the talent to go all the way. The question is always, do they have the mentality? Uh, and central to that would be Josh Allen and the decisions that he makes. In a game like this, great, but can he do that three or four more times down the stretch and maybe then the Bills can win it all? Yeah, I hope the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl because then we can all finally admit Josh Allen's like a little bit of a wee bitch, I'll be honest. Like this year, he's been flopping and doing like bad guy stuff basically like in this game he did the fake slide and that led to the big rushing touchdown and then later on he slides and gets like a very questionable oh yeah that was roughing ridiculous. call the roughing call uh, shouldn't have happened you know i've seen justin fields get his head smacked in and not get a call like that but you know and like there's games like i think it was the dallas game where someone touched him and he kind of flopped backwards like he'd just been assaulted like i want buffalo to be villains because i do think they have that in them but they do need to win a super bowl first because they're such a hard luck franchise you can't quite hate them just yet but look in this game i think there's not really much to say that, that there hasn't been covered already that the sense that buffalo are better um they kind of dominated the first half and pittsburgh were given chances to to make this competitive and they just threw them away like they obviously threw that red zone interception in the second half they you know even when in catch-up mode it was still the same stayed slow moving chew the clock offense which is the only option that they have when they have you know mason rudolph in there and obviously next year it's going to be like mason rudolph and kenny pickett and then i don't know draft a guy or a mediocre free agent like it's just as you say it's hell like you know they are a winning they are a winning organization in the, in the most technical literal sense of the term <laughs> they are a winning organization technically and that's good enough apparently and like the, the, the Steelers are like one of those old school orgs where the, the owner is probably happy enough to keep doing that like just be the 
the Marvin Lewis Bengals forever, basically. Uh, but if you actually got a good quarterback, they could actually compete. But it's very hard to do that if you're not willing to actually go out and do something about it. Um, but yeah, for Buffalo, I think the big thing for them is their defense has made that turnaround. It's much better now. So I think that gives them a shot. But yeah, I think you still saw those same... Like, as I said, they gave Pittsburgh chances here. Pittsburgh kind of just got in their own way when it mattered. And Buffalo were then able to just va- like saunter the way to the win here. But um, you still see those frailties. You still see those issues. Um Allen's going to need to play at an even higher level, I think, if they're going to go all the way. But yeah, given the relative strength of the uh, field compared to other years, you know, they got a shot. And as I said, it'd be nice to see them because I think Allen, I'm kind of getting sick of the kind of bullshit from him, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and as we say, all games are important, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we won't. We won't do a dump off for the playoffs. Philadelphia, Tampa Bay. <laughs> 9-32, to 32, uh, Philadelphia complete the implosion as uh, Hertz, who went for 255 yards and one touchdown, is just harassed all day and just they had no answer to Tampa Bay's defense. They had three sacks, five tackles for a loss, held them under 300 yards. Uh, they were just everywhere for them. Smith was the big recipient of most of those passes, 148 yards there with Brown out. But there was just nothing happening for Philly at all. Uh, and then the, the bigger problem is obviously going to be on the Philadelphia defensive side. Baker had 337 yards and three touchdowns. Didn't look injured at all uh, in this game, although he did have one or two slightly... Uh, Aaron throws here and there a couple of drops and that but this Philadelphia defense was just horrendous I was texting with a friend of the show Shane there and uh, we we're just going how many Philadelphia players does it take to tackle someone at this point because all I saw throughout the game were just missed tackles or whenever they actually got the tackle not wrapping someone up and just letting them bounce off it and pass through through yeah. the through the tackle it was you could just... hear the pinball sounds go, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, like... it was just horrendous like there was nothing happening the thing that surprised me I think the most was that the offense was so bad in this because like Philadelphia's defense has been bad for the last while and we kind of know that uh, I was just surprised because like Tampa Bay I wouldn't I wouldn't count amongst the kind of the best blitzing teams at all, but like they they were just just all over the shop for them. The guys had no uh, had no response. So Philly, like there's huge problems happening there now. Uh, obviously Kelsey is retiring. They've got a couple of older players. They've got you know question marks now sitting at the coaching position as to whether or not they want to bring back Sirianni or also like. The other option would be maybe they're going to swap out at the at the coordinator positions and let him stay there. But like it's kind of a, a, an in-between move. I don't know. Philadelphia have a remarkable ability to get uh, to get coaches who will be good for like one season and then have to get rid of them real soon afterwards. Because this is like the third or fourth one that they've had that happen with uh, on the Tampa Bay side. Great performance from from Baker Mayfield. This is kind of this is. The, the the tier that he can get into I think uh, whenever everything is working right he was a bit healthier in this game his wide receivers made a lot of plays they had good uh, supporting run games and good passing game uh, to the running backs out of the back whenever they needed to get the ball out quickly it was it was very handy now it helps when you're playing this Philadelphia defense where no linebacker was able to really move very much the, the tackling was as I said just atrocious and like the one, the one part of Philly's defense that was working a bit was the defensive line was getting through and was getting a bit of pressure on him. But like, there was the the, the problem is pressure works as long as you can, you know, as long as your linebackers and defensive backs can hold the guys for maybe two seconds so the ball can't come out. And that just wasn't happening at all in this game. Like 
the, that's what people discuss when they say build from the front or build from the back. Either you have good coverage so that it gives the pass rushers more time, or you have good pass rushers so the guys don't have to cover for so long. And it just it was not happening in this game at all for them. So Philadelphia, nine points, absolutely shit the bed, stumble their way to the playoffs, collapse in the playoffs, big changes coming in there. Tampa Bay, exciting, fun. I don't really see them being able to get through the next round, but I think this was an overachievement for them. And I think this might mean that Baker's going to get a bit of a healthier contract for next year while they draft his heir apparent. Philly are the kings of chaos, right? They're not doing it right unless they're doing a complete rebuild from, from the ground up every, as you say, three years or so. I think at this stage, I think Jose Mourinho got fired by Roma, so they might as well hire him because he's pretty good for those <laughs> situations. Uh, but no, this was wretched. Absolutely wretched. And the offense wasn't good, but the defense, let's focus on the defense for a second here, because, you know, they, they, they should be thankful that Dallas were such terrible shite and just schematically um, shite to kind of take some attention off. But this was truly horrendous. Like, they did not know what they were doing at all. Like, the oh, like similar to Dallas, the, the middle of the field was just wide open. Like, and it's because they have no one in the middle. Like, they, their safeties are injured and they have basically no linebacker depth. Like, you know, un- unheralded guys that they let go of free agents like TJ Edwards, you felt the lack of any linebacker quality from this team. And so, tight end, like, Kate Odden was just able to get open. It felt uh, open at, at will in across the middle of the field. Godwin had a couple of nice catches as well. It just felt like Baker, you know, Baker's really good at throwing those kind of quick balls across the middle and then a bit of play action and it just felt like they were able to do that at ease and then of course if your defensive backs just refuse to tackle then the whole thing gets even worse like you know a couple of those touchdowns were basically just james bradbury going i don't want to fucking tackle and then the safety going i don't want to fucking tackle and then just like whoosh like some kind of fourth string no-name guy is going for a big long touch man like trey palmer or david moore or whatever like that and it's just it was pathetic it's pathetic and, you know, it's hard not to look at the defense and remember that they decided to put Matt Patricia in charge of it like two-thirds of the way through the season and kind of go, you, you made a big change to change things and you made it worse. It was pretty bad this year, but it's been worse. It's been worse the last few years. And Matt Patricia, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Like, what were you thinking? I, like, I'm, it's beyond analysis. It's just so in, in stupid that it kind of... Why would you do this to yourself? Like, you know, if they'd been this bad with Sean Desai, we'd be annoyed. But to put Matt Patricia in charge and to get this shit out? I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, like, it definitely feels like, you know, maybe it'll go another year. Because, obviously, they have the goodwill from the Super Bowl run last year. But, you know, things can get very ugly very quickly if things start off like they ended this year. Because it was pathetic. And the offense, like, you know, I think, like, you know, a lot of focus on Jalen Hurts. Some, you know, interesting shots to the sideline of people talk to him and him just sitting there kind of passively. You know, maybe needs to... You don't need to be that passive, I suppose. Maybe he's uh, got too much into the uh, stoicism. You know, maybe don't be that stoic, right? Uh, but, you know, I don't think he was the problem. Like, they were just left him on an island. Like, five-man protections all day, and they were getting five-man blitzes all day. And one-on-one, a defense is going to have an advantage on average. So he was having to get the ball out in, like, basically, like, two seconds or less uh, the entire game. I think there was one point that they showed up. It's two seconds time to, to basically the defense getting to him. And it's, like, it's very hard to do anything under that way. And I think he did... About as well as could be expected under the circumstances, he had a couple of deep bombs to Smith, but there was just no sense that the play calling was designed to give him an, an easy outlet, an easy throw, something that would punish Tampa Bay for getting the blitzes. The big plays he did get were just like, okay, I've been blitzed, 
I have no outlet, just hook it up to Devonta Smith, hopefully he'll do something, and a couple of times he did, and, you know, he ended up with over 100 yards and stuff like that, but, like, that's not sustainable, that doesn't make any goddamn sense, and you should be able to scheme something, you know, like, I know that, like, the great turnaround they had last year is when AJ Brown started hooking up the AJ Brown, but you need to have something else, right, and their play-calling quality is basically, like, barely college level, it's nearly high school level, uh, in terms of the schematics, it's been criticised end-to-end by people over the back half season, but it's just, it's just weird that this all happened after going 10-1 and one to start the season. Just suddenly things, after the Kansas City win, just like, dead. Just everything that could go wrong has gone wrong, and they have shown, Sirianni and co. have shown zero ability to adjust, and the one thing they did adjust, putting fucking Matt Patricia in charge of defensive play calling, has been a huge fucking disaster. And Tampa Bay here, look, fair play to them, but they're not a good team, right? Like, they were just given easy shots. Like, the things that Baker are good at, were basically just allowed to do, and then a whole bunch of free yards after the catch because the Philly defense sucks, and the Tampa Bay defense, like, Todd Bowles is doing his, you know, blitzing bullshit, which he has been punished many times by better play callers before in the past over multiple years now but he came against a, a guy who just wasn't going to adjust wasn't going to do anything and the whole thing worked and it looks like Todd Bowles looks like a great defensive coordinator again but you know against better teams you know maybe they could look their way past Detroit but there's no way this Tampa Bay team is going all the way but you know for a team that obviously in the post Tom Brady era it looked like they could go completely into the toilet to have a season like this when you're NFC South albeit it's the worst division of football and to get a win like this it's all good vibes give Baker hopefully a reasonable contract and uh, not don't you don't want to break the bank but just a reasonable contract and you know you got enough veterans here you can go on a few nice runs but you know I think the the ceiling of this team unless they get some major infusion of rookie talent you know still feels like basically this you look into a wild card and get a really weak team you can win but the, the Tampa Bay were wild card fodder if they face any of the other team in the NFC hunt let's be honest yeah, and what's really embarrassing here for the Eagles is to play this badly against a team that wasn't even that good. I mean, whatever about, say, they, they, they played, say, a Dallas or Detroit or a San Francisco or something like that and got badly beaten like this, you'd be like, well, that's a pretty embarrassing way for the season to end. To get destroyed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is just, I, it's inconceivable how much this team has fallen off a cliff. And, and to be fair, even before they started losing, we did see them, they were scraping wins, there was, things weren't quite working. It's never felt right for the Eagles this season uh, on either side of the ball. Uh, and this is just the, the chickens coming up to roost. I, I think there is, uh, uh, you know, we're not privy to all the stuff that's happening behind the scenes, but I do kind of feel there must be some sort of toxic environment situation where the people, because the players just seem to have stopped playing uh, and everyone seems to be sniping at, at everyone else. And that it's, for something to happen that quickly must mean that there's something gone back with the culture, uh, something gone wrong with the culture uh, in the building uh, itself. I mean, so in this game, the de- defense goes completely missing. I mean, all the videos on social media of all the missed tackles kind of demonstrates that um, the offense completely unable to deal with, with the concept of a blitz completely unable to, to get third down conversions. They couldn't even get the touch push to work, which is just demonstrates how bad um, the Eagles were. This is just a, an incredibly ignominious way for a season, which for a, at a time looked very promising um, to end. And you have to imagine there are major changes um, ahead. I think for the Eagles sake, they, they shouldn't get rid of Sirianni because I think he's a good coach, but I think everything might be on the table now, um, given all that's happened. In terms of Tampa Bay, yeah, it's 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 a it's it's very hard to judge how good this team is because the the team across from them just completely gave up the. So the Tampa Bay, the pass defense had a very strong game. The run defense had a very strong game, but how strong that would be against the Lions is another question. They did a good job of keeping 
Hurts off balance all night. Would that be effective against Jared Goff and the Lions O-line? Impossible to know. Evans was cooking Bradbury. It was just like, but these are all, it all felt kind of contextual and situational, and I don't think we learned an awful lot. In fact, the only thing that really kept the score close was the fact that Tampa Bay weren't that good, right? That they were having failures of execution, dropped passes, the kind of red zone failures and stuff like that was the only thing keeping this from being an absolute and utter blowout. Um, so, yeah, absolutely embarrassing for the Eagles. A lot of work to be done. And I think Tampa Bay will probably be found out next week because they're they're entering into rarefied air now. There there are no bad teams left. Uh, and they it's, it's kind of that thing. If, if you sit down at a poker table and in, within <laughs> half an hour you can't see who the sucker is, you're the sucker. It kind of feels like Tampa Bay are walking into the NFC uh, divisional not knowing who the bad team is because they're the bad team. Um, but, you know, enjoy the moment for what it is and maybe it gets Baker a new contract, which is good. Uh, but I expect them to pay get the man his money. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> he beat them straight up. He did. He did. And on that lovely note, we'll move over and look at the divisional round previews. So first up, we have the Saturday games. Houston are traveling to Baltimore. I've gone for Houston and you guys have gone for Baltimore. Obviously, very explosive game last week. CJ Stroud looked excellent. Uh, He is going to be down Noah Brown and this is going to be against probably a far more complex defense in Baltimore. So the question is going to be, can the young player figure out this defense, figure out where he can where he can kind of put the ball in that and can he kind of diagnose it in the time they're going to have because I'd say they're going to put him under pressure. They've got excellent cornerbacks. This will be a, a, a different level of, uh, of of defense that he's going to have to deal with in here. On the other side, like Lamar has been very good this season, probably going to be the MVP, but he does have a very spotty history in the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, will they be able to kind of get that monkey off his back and kind of, you know, start start the, the drive towards maybe kind of realizing some of these excellent uh, regular seasons and kind of converting them into postseason wins instead? The problem he's going to face is obviously we discussed it there. The Houston defense has looked an awful lot better of late uh we saw the impact that they made in the game just gone with two pick sixes now that was obviously against a, a, a say a slightly less dynamic quarterback than jackson in uh, joe flacco but you know this houston defense has shown itself to be complimentary and can they stifle a bit of baltimore's magic we'll see uh they've definitely like baltimore's offense is a lot more open than it has been in recent years they're getting the balls out to, to, to wide receivers an awful lot more there's a chance that Mark Andrews is actually going to be back for this game but Isaiah likely has been putting up great numbers in his stead so if he's back you might even start seeing some double tight end sets provide additional blocking for the run game um, that I think might be the one bit where Baltimore will need to see what they're going to look like they're obviously rested coming off the bye they did pick up um cook to add into that backfield rotation and they've been getting some success out of they've been getting success without really having a top end uh running back i've been working off their twos and threes for most of the year uh but houston you know they fell foul of uh good run play whenever they were playing the colts previously even though they won that game they did give up nearly 200 yards of jonathan taylor on the ground so look for houston to key in a little bit more on the run uh i'm expecting some fireworks in this game i think we're going to get a high scoring game if cj stroud can avoid mistakes against this baltimore defense uh i think we could have a very exciting game and given how opportunistic houston's defense have been particularly last week you 
might be able to see them causing a little bit of eruptions, although their pass rush isn't quite what you'd want against such a mobile quarterback. So I'm I'm shading Houston in this one just because I think it'll be great crack. Uh, I'd love to see them do it. They're playing, like we said, much, much, much more loose. Like we talked about Dallas having concerns about, you know, not wanting to lose because what it would mean, the implications of it all. Like for Lamar, there's a lot of pressure on the playoffs because that's, probably the only big knock left on him at this stage as a quarterback he's not considered in the top 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 tier with you know the Mahomes and the and the Brady's and people like that and I think this is one of the ones that he needs to kind of succeed at to be able to break out of that so there's a bit more pressure on Baltimore for for certain in this whereas Houston are like we said already a couple of years ahead of their development plan playing with their hair on fire and can cause problems. I'll, I'll put it this way. I'm very happy that it's not Houston coming to Kansas City this week. And additionally, if Houston are to win and Kansas City were to win, we get to continue the Arrowhead Invitational AFC Championship. <laughs> and it, 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 it's a great game, obviously. Uh, but I think there's like two worlds. I think there is a world here where Baltimore come back and show why they were feared. It's obviously easy to forget for a team, obviously, who had the bye and who basically was playing backups for most of the game against the Steelers in what was rainy conditions anyway, so it wasn't a proper game. You know, they, they came off basically comprehensively beating the 49ers, probably the second best team in football, and then annihilating the, the Dolphins from the face of the earth. So that feels a little less impressive than it might have like a month ago. Uh, but that version of Baltimore looked genuinely unstoppable on both sides of the ball. They looked like a complete team. Uh, but they are obviously a team that's going to be prohibitive favourites, I imagine, here on the, on the bookie line. And they have a quarterback, as you say, who has a point to prove. Like Lamar... Obviously, his first year as a starter came into the playoffs, you know, playing great, then shut down by an interesting uh, Chargers uh, playbook, then wins the MVP, gets the divisional round, they rest started the final week then, and they got, you know, they, I think they got taken away, basically, in that game. They, they did not play up to the level expected based on what he had done. But the, the expectation is that based on what Lamar put on tape this year, that he's not that quarterback anymore, that he is now... I know this is what he'd hate he probably hate to hear it but like a proper quarterback that he's playing <laughs> not just the Lamar bullshit but he's also playing within the system yeah. he's taking the reads that Todd Munkin has come in and put in actual passing concepts that aren't you know, actually work and he has been taking advantage of them and Todd Munkin's obviously even now getting head coach consideration of the job he's done of turning this offense into something that has to, has multiple options has multiple layers it's not just the uh, the old um, Greg Roman offense where it was just uh, one it's, first it's nine, nine point favorites yeah so prohibitive I would say second um, no, they're, they're, they're actually only the second uh, highest Sam Fran yeah. of 10 points against Green Bay apparently so I think the big thing for Baltimore is that they should come out of this game and show that they're dominant on the offense, but not try to get fancy here. Like, I think, you know, Mark Andrews possibly could be back in a couple of weeks if they make it further uh, for, the, for, say, the Super Bowl. Uh, but right now, like, it's a team that's based on playing uh, good, smart football and Lamar playing within the system and then setting up those explosive plays um, because the team has to respect everything that you could possibly do. And you've seen explosive plays to OBJ, to Isaiah Likely, to other people like that. And obviously they've run the ball pretty successfully. And Dalvin Cook is an interesting, I think it is an interesting X factor potentially to kind of add in that stuff they've been missing um, since losing J.K. Dobbins and, and the rookie. Um, and, you know, Gus Bus is good for what he does, but he's the Gus Bus. Like, and Justice Hill is a, a pure receiving. So someone who's a bit gives a bit more uncertainty to defense in terms of what he can do at any given play might add a little X factor there but Lamar has to show up Lamar has to 
show why he's probably going to be the MVP and not to have the failure he did for the first time with MVP and kind of get the ball out efficiently. Don't give this young defense the opportunity to make their aggressive plays to get at him um, and to get ball, rid of the ball and not try to kind of make big things happen. Because I think if they could do that, they have a defense under Mike McDonald that has, I think, been you know really, 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 really good. Obviously, they did a huge job of like completely destroying the lives of uh, Brock Purdy and Tua. Uh, it's a different challenge against Stroud. I do think Stroud is very quickly ascending into the you know the Mahomes Allen uh, Burrow God tier. He's not quite there yet because you know only a rookie, but he's getting there. Um, and he, I'm sure Stroud will get his licks in. But this is a tough defense, and it's not just a tough defense in the fact that they play hard and they have a lot of talent, like a decent amount of talent, but they're also an incredibly hard defense to diagnose. They are a team that can show you from any given look they can do multiple different things they have blitzes off the corner Kyle Hamilton's been kind of a Swiss army knife uh, kind of guy for them all year and so that's going to be an extra challenge for him mentally as well as accuracy so I think you know that's the kind of thing like he can't he can, can't afford to just throw it across the middle and get intercepted and stuff like that we've seen enough of him I don't think it's gonna he's gonna implode or anything like that but we have seen a couple of games where he has been outsmarted I played like the Jets defense uh, kind of uh, about a month or so ago at this point so it could happen but, you know, if Houston are going to win, it's probably going to have to be Stroud balling out, keeping this close, scoring heavy, and keeping us into a competitive game. Because I do think if we get into the fourth quarter and this game is still close, we've seen that Baltimore can be quite fragile, that they have blown um, leads and late on in the games, that they, that they got lucky in a couple of games, uh, like, they, like they could have easily lost, like, say, the Rams like a month ago. ago. Um, so they are, I, I think, you know, they're, they're incredible when they're front running, and they've done that so many times this year. But I do think they're a team that, you know, mentally, because they're such favourites, because Lamar has the like one and three playoff record, and they have so much to prove here as a team and as a quarterback that if it's close here, yeah, Houston definitely have a chance and things will get very interesting. But I still would err towards that. There's sufficient probably that Baltimore come out and prove why they're so good and blow the doors off Texans and, and you know, nice story, but you're not at the same level as us. Um, that I'm willing to go for Baltimore, but uh, there is a really interesting game that could happen here. Yeah, I, I, I on paper, I, I think this is a, a no brainer that the the Ravens are more talented and more experienced and better coached on both sides of the ball. And you'd have to wonder a little bit about the Texans experience and how, for example, this, this defense, which while, while having some good moments does have some weaknesses is going to compete against a Baltimore offense that has not only got a really good quarterback and in the form of his life and an awful lot of options that have opened up in the last few, uh, last few weeks, but also the the coaching to exploit things. Like for example, the the run. They're obviously Houston have a great run defense, and they've shown in the in the Cleveland game that they they can do that at the highest level. Their their defense can become an effective run defense. But you'd worry about they they have weaknesses at secondary, and that's the kind of thing that the Ravens Harbaugh Harbaugh and his guys would be zoning in on in terms of to exploit. And Lamar will will obviously be looking for that. Um, and on the other side, Stroud, as you said, he's he's talented, but he is inexperienced. And this Baltimore defense is it kind of feels like you you need a, you need a lot of years of dealing with defenses to be able to handle the kind of shit that they throw at people. And we've seen a lot of very good players get bamboozled by this Ravens uh, Ravens defense this this year. So it kind of feels like there isn't too many paths to victory. But as you say, there is the intangible. There is the the CJ Stroud experience and he's proven us to us multiple times that he is a big game player and he is a man for the biggest stage. And if it gets if it's close in the fourth quarter, you kind of maybe have to bet on his side he's going to pull it out because on the other side Lamar has kind of proven that he isn't that guy that that in the pl big playoff moments he has kind of gone missing or he's kind of fallen away from his regular season peak I mean I can only just think about the season he was MVP of the regular season and then just completely went missing in the playoffs and 
this is the Ravens' best chance to win a Super Bowl in the decade since they last won it. Uh, and it maybe doesn't feel like they're going to get too many opportunities like this. This kind of It's a team that's come together over a number of years. They've overcome their, their various injury problems. The pieces have kind of clicked into place and they've got the coaching. This feels like their opportunity to win a Super Bowl. And you'd wonder how much can Lamar, as, as a person on a psychological level, carry that upon him, especially, say, in a game when he's a close game when he's playing against a, you know, a superstar rookie who seems to have no fear and is throwing balls all over the place. So there is that kind of psychological angle which makes the, the on-paper thing a little bit of a, a question mark. But I honestly, I, I think in 99, well, maybe not 99, but maybe 88% of universes, I think the Ravens <laughs> win this one. Some and quick so calculations being done there. <laughs> so I think you've got to back the, the Ravens, but certainly... The more fun this game is, the more likely the Texans are going to win because the Ravens are going to win. They'll probably win it by getting it out to a big lead and then, and then clamp, clamping it down. You want to be the Joe Montana of era, not Dan Marino, okay? Just, it's uh... true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, next up, Green Bay at San Francisco. We've gone from San Francisco across the board. Obviously, Green Bay played light sight last week, but this is a San Francisco team that has kind of put the clamps on almost everyone this year. They've got a top-end defense, so will Jordan Love be able to have the same level of, of production here? Well, for one, I can't imagine that he'll have as many people, you know, getting 15, 20 yards open without someone covering them against this defense. Hopefully, Sam Fran will have watched the tape from last week and said, don't do what Dallas does. Um, but then the question is, will they be able to win one-on-one outside this is a receiver core that is all first and second year players so like there's not a lot of experience on it they are fast they are exciting but do they have the experience to be able to win against these far more uh far more kind of uh seasoned veterans i suppose uh the linebacker talent the safety talent is a world apart from what they saw in the last round so we'll, we'll have to see how that looks on the other side purdy is obviously been playing very well an often overlooked player because of his background and whether he's a system quarterback or not but he's been very very good uh of late and they have a lot of weapons here christian mccaffrey is kind of a team unto himself they've been getting production out of debo out of Ayuk, out of kittle there's weapons coming out of their arses on this team um and they've obviously got the rest coming into this one as well. The big concern I'd have for this, and not to bring it back again to mentals up, but like this is a San Francisco team that is great as a front runner. It doesn't really do well mm -hmm. when it's chasing leads. I think they have an abysmal record down uh, eight or more points uh, that they just don't really know how to follow that up. And what we saw at a Green Bay last week against Dallas is almost exactly what I want to see out of them again. Win the toss and say, no, we want the ball. Get yourselves up, get off to a strong start, and then just start trying to go blow for blow. The Green Bay defense, I cannot expect that we're going to get the same kind of production out of, uh, out of that Barry's defense that we did last week. Um, obviously, they're down a, a, a pass rusher, but I don't think that's the major difference here. This is a Green Bay defense that has been a problem for most of the season, and I don't think that magically got fixed last week. I think that was a reflection of Dallas's ineptitude and misplanning rather than this defense has suddenly turned a massive corner. So don't be expecting back-to-back -back pick sixes, but if they can get ahead and play from ahead, San Francisco, like 
you know, when when they're chasing, they make mistakes. If you can get some pressure on Love, he's not great when he's moved off the spot. That's what you have to do. But, you know, Green Bay don't have the best pass rush. So it's going to have to be get ahead, make them work for it, try and make them make a mistake. I don't think Green Bay are dead in this game. But, like, I'll do my calculations now, Sean. I'd say 93% uh, <laughs> in this case that uh, San Francisco would win this one. Uh, barring, you know, them coming in cold because of the because of the time off or whatever. But, yeah, like San Francisco are just so talented. It's hard to see them do it. But this is a Green Bay team that is not similar to the Houston Texans. Nice, loose, young, prepared, happy to kind of go for it. Uh, my problem is that I just think San Francisco have both the experience and the coaching to be able to just weather it out and let them make mistakes. Because we've seen love make mistakes I mean, maybe less so over the last six weeks or so but we've seen him do it and like this is a team that is at all levels built to capitalize on that kind of stuff so they're going to want to you know get in early score if green bay can get ahead that's their best shot and then just try and play from the lead uh but yeah we'll see i i can't I, I really struggling to see past san francisco in this one yeah, it, it's a big test for Green Bay. There's, there's no doubt about that. This is this is a substantial step up um, from Dallas. As you, I mean, you, you said it all in terms of the San Francisco. They've got talent to to to, to spare on both sides. They, you know, they've got the best skilled position core uh, in in the NFL. McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk. They 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 could just beat you in so many ways. And Purdy's a really good game manager in terms of keeping all that that ticking. And then on the defensive side, that they, they've already had a good defense with people like Fred Warner and stuff. And then they they've added additional pieces to it. So it, it's it's on a talent level, it's going to be a very difficult task for Green Bay because they do not have there's no clear area where you can say they have an advantage um uh, and they certainly are areas in which they're going to struggle a, an awful lot plus San Francisco are going to have the the chip in their shoulder from last year where they kind of feel that they were denied a chance to to win it all by by some unfortunate injuries at unfortunate moments and now they feel especially now with Philadelphia out of the way that it's kind of a clear field for San Francisco uh, to go all the way so this, they, they'll see it as their their opportunity but that said, that means that there's nothing. Green Bay have nothing to lose, right? That they they can come in, and we we've seen Matt Lafleur. He has game plans. He he knows how his team plays. He knows how to make things work, and he he knows how to create opportunities for Jordan Love. And they can, especially if they if they lean on the run game with Aaron Jones. We saw last week that they can make a lot of hay out of that. So for me, it is if if Green Bay come into this with a very clear game plan and they execute it in the first quarter and they build up a lead, then as you say. Suddenly, it's an entirely different scenario. San Francisco don't seem seem to be a team that needs the comfort of a lead in order to do their stuff. And if they get behind, they for whatever reason, they don't seem to have the the ability to to unlock situations which aren't going that well. So I think the the Green Bay game plan has to be to get a fast start offensively and do all you can defensively to, to kind of clamp down at San Francisco at the very beginning and then take that lead and hold on to it for your dear life for the entire game. And whether Green Bay are, can do that or not, whether they can A, get into that lead, um, which is in itself a question because San Francisco are obviously going to be attempting to do the exact same thing, um, and whether they can hold whether they can hold that lead then as a function of experience and this is quite an inexperienced team and you know love is going to be under a lot of pressure and it could be a situation where even if green bay get that lead they're going to be they're going to be chased the whole way um and as much experience as lafleur has in terms of those situations it's quite a young team and you'd wonder how they look under the lights so 
there definitely is, in most scenarios, San Francisco should have the talent to win this one. But if Green Bay come with a, with a clear game plan and they execute it well, they do have a chance. Um, but I just I can't see them on their day doing enough uh, to hold off this this juggernaut. But the yeah, and there is a psychology there, of course. Like, you know, San Francisco have been the the bête noire of Lafleur in the playoffs. But this is a this is the new Green Bay Packers. No longer is it. You know Aaron Rodgers Packers with Lafleur alongside to improve his uh, late season uh, statistics. Now Lafleur, I am the captain now. Moment, I have my quarterback. He's doing what I want. I have the guy. I have the joystick now, and I'm gonna. I play you now, Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan, of course, will be exactly the same uh, with Brock Purdy. He's obviously a guy who who executes the system to an incredibly high level. Um, but both quarterbacks who yeah have shown flashes of their weaknesses, obviously. You know, Purdy in that Baltimore game, you saw him have a terrible game. So you'll wonder how much Joe Barry uh, would be willing to get after uh, Brock Purdy, uh, how much he'd be willing to kind of play like the way the Baltimore Ravens did, which was to kind of just play like uh, like zone, basically. Keep your eyes on Brock Purdy, like give them big plays. But if you get enough pressure on him and keep doing that enough times, he's going to do something too risky. He's going to give the ball away, turn the ball over and try to do that way or whether they just stick to what they, they usually do and kind of, uh, do there and if if that is happening will um Kyle Shannon be willing to kind of just hand the ball off the CMC and just batter them back into submission effectively uh that way um and on the other hand like yeah like look fair play to Jordan Love like the the Cowboys showed your arse to them and you give them a, a good kick there but you know this is going to be a completely different ball game the middle of the field it's going to be tightened there like you got two of the best linebackers in the league um, in Warner and Greenlaw, you got Shair Brown, a rookie safety who's been doing really well coming in for Hufanga, who, who, who lost the season earlier this year, who obviously himself was really good last year. And so you got like the middle of the field, it's going to be really, really tight. So I think, as you said, Connor, in, in the intro, it's going to be about like these fairly, I would say, you know, Ward is pretty solid, but outside of that, it's pretty thin for the San Francisco outside cornerbacks. So can they hold up against these uh, very inexperienced wide receivers who I think, you know, you, we're going to find out if these young guys, Dubs and Reed and Watson, I think Watson, if he could play, would actually be huge for this. Um, can they win one-on-ones? Can they show that they're just more talented? I think if Watson plays, he could really be an X factor because we know he's a guy who can blast by you, who could win against one-on-one coverage. Whereas guys like Dubs and, and to a lesser extent Reed, I don't think can have that in their locker just yet, but they're going to need to show like that they can do route running, that you know, Dobbs isn't just going to be able to wander into a free space like he got against Dallas. That's not going to happen here. And so I think there's a really interesting matchup there. And obviously, Love is like his clock is going to be a much faster in this game because you got Chase Young, you got Nick Bosa coming after, you got Armstead coming up the middle, Hargrave up in the middle. That's going to be tough sledding right there. And obviously, if they can get Aaron Jones going, that would help a lot. But you know, this is going to be way tougher for Green Bay. But if Love can come through this, even if they don't win, but if they put it up to San Francisco, if they really make this a contest, then and, you know the the, the 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 basically the fears of the NFC, particularly the NFC North, that they have found their new franchise quarterback. That's going to be the the story of the off season. But it's a huge test against this 49ers uh, defense, and obviously we know the offense, all those weapons, all those different risk factors. It's going to be a huge test for Joe Barry's defense. And I think on, on both sides, they San Francisco have the advantage. That's why they're the, the number one seed. Uh, but Green Bay certainly a lot more interesting than we thought this would have been if we had this matchup a month ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, on to Sunday night, Tampa Bay at Detroit. We've gone for Detroit across the board. Uh, Baker looked healthy in the wildcard game. Uh, you know, he played well, got his three touchdowns. So can he exploit, you know, his wide receiver core of Evans and Godwin getting against this kind of Detroit defense? It's 
really not up to a wild pile. They had one or two decent stops in the last game, but like they're not they're not an elite unit by any stretch of the imagination. And then obviously they've got White there for the run screen game as well. So there's there's, there's options for this Tampa Bay team against a Detroit defense that is middling, I'd say, at best. Uh, like their hope is that their defense can put in a performance like it did last week. Like, they're not the best defense in the world, but they do certain things well. Vita Vea is there at defensive tackle, and can he cause issues for the running back tandem that Detroit want to get going in this? Like, they've got White at linebacker. Will they be able to kind of take away some of that as well? It's 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 a bit of a... I'm struggling a little bit to try and think of the narrative, and I don't know if it's just because I'm so... I love this Detroit team. I think they're really fun to watch, and I'd, I'd like to see them get going, and... I'm I'm not I find the Tampa Bay a little bit plodding at times and a little bit less exciting, but like, you know, they're here and it's a single game thing. It could go either way. But like I I just I just struggle to see the route for Tampa Bay here because I think there's enough in Detroit that if they scheme it up in any way half decently, they should be able to get stuff open against them, be it put some more crossing rights in for Amon Ra, be it whatever, or like the the route is probably that Jared Goff has a down game that and he's been he, he's been up and down all season but if he comes out and he makes his kind of like first half to interception kind of setup that's a bit of a hole for them to dig out because then Tampa Bay can just kind of bear down and try and try and stop the run and just stifle them a little bit like if unless Tampa Bay's defense can really throw a wrench into Detroit's offense I struggle to see Tampa Bay's route through this one I think it's obvious that Detroit are the better team. They're obviously at a level where they're they're playing really well, and obviously just you know, absolutely took uh, you know a huge win there against the Rams. And they are at home; they're going to have that home field advantage. I think that'll be huge. But I do think the strength of this Tampa Bay team, which I think you know, if you're talking like you know, the strengths of the Detroit team are much higher than the strengths of the Tampa Bay. But I do think they match up pretty well to the weaknesses of this Detroit team. I think the Detroit offense, when they can run the ball when they can do the play action, particularly across the middle, that's such a key part of the Johnson offense where, you know, he has a run look and then he gets a tight end like Laporta uh, or Amon Ryan in a crossing right and they get those big plays across the middle. That's going to be tougher against this Tampa Bay defense than winning against the Rams because they have, you know, a really elite linebacker pair. Um, Levante David, you know, obviously quite long in the tooth now, but, a, you know, a perennial Pro Bowl, all pro type guy. Obviously, huge game here. One more chance to kind of get that, you know, get another ring. Uh, Devin White um, has been a bit sketchy, but I think this year, most people have agreed that he's kind of brought his career back around and he is an incredible athletic freak. And so certainly can get around and get across quickly both sides of the field. And then I think the X factor for the Tampa Bay defense, and he's going to have to have a huge game uh, for a huge man. Um, if they're going to win this game, is Vita Vea. Like he is a one-man run-stopping machine. Uh, probably the best, um, certainly like top two, top three, nose tackle type defensive tackles who just clogs up that system while also being a major threat um, uh, as, a, as a pass rusher as well. Like he's just got the complete package. And if he can have a huge game, and he was like, you know, some people talk about they stop the touch push and it's got Vita Vea. If he can stop the run game, if he can hold uh, David Montgomery in check and Jameer Gibbs in check, and if the, the, the linebackers, and, and you know, they have a good safety in Antoine Wheelfield at free safety, if they can make the middle of the field really hard for Goff to get at, then we did see that mid-season swoon for Goff where, you know, the system broke down and he didn't know what he's doing and then suddenly the picks came back and he said Jared Goof came back and suddenly they were losing team games to teams like Chicago uh, and to Green Bay, obviously. Green Bay considered better now uh, than, they, than they were back then. 
um or nearly all skin to sugar i'm sorry uh, no, they didn't, yeah anyway um and it was just you know those are so i do think the the the, the strengths of this tampa bay defense map on quite well like you know the cornerbacks are, are solid but not great and their pass rush isn't amazing but i don't know if that'll have to be there if they can just take away the run game and take away that kind of middle uh, the play action across the middle and then on the offense like i think the middle of this um uh the Detroit defense like is better than expected I think like they've got a lot of players back like TJ Gardner Johnson so I think you know Baker will probably struggle to get the Kate Otten I don't think Kate Otten will be a huge factor in this game compared to last game but they do have Mike Evans on the outside and he'll be going up against you know the Detroit cornerbacks and they're no great shakes let's be perfectly frank so if you put Mike Evans one-on-one with these guys can he win those one-on-ones well he's done it a lot this year he's got a lot of big games a lot of big touchdowns so I don't think it's impossible to see a world where Mike Evans goes out and has a worldie of a game and then suddenly you know Detroit get themselves into a hole and I don't think they're an amazing comeback team either like they're not like 49ers bad but they're not uh, that type of team either they're, they're a team that prefers to play from the front and so I think in that sense if Mike Evans has a big game on the outside and then they do get some more production from guys like Chris Godwin um, who can be a, a factor in the and about outside and in um, then they can make that and then Rashad White who's been a really pleasant surprise with them at running back he's particularly been effective but it's decent as a runner Although I'd say the interior of their line is probably their weakness. But I think particularly in the screen game, he's been very effective. And the screen game is obviously the perfect way that if Detroit feel like, you know, things are slipping away, let's get more aggressive, send a blitz or two. The screen game is where, you know, if you can do that well, can really take that pressure off and punish you for that. So, you know, I think, look, just, I'm obviously building the case because you said you couldn't know how to build a case. But I think if you look at this Tampa Bay team, they are a less talented team. They've obviously played at a much lower level uh, pretty much the entire season than Detroit. But if you look at the X factors that they have, Mike Evans, Vita Vea, Levante David, Devin White, they are people who match well onto neutralizing the strengths of this Detroit team. And Baker, look, if Baker's healthy, we've seen enough room that he can do the job, he can get it done, and he's willing to trust his guys and get it out to them. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to be the reason they win, but I think he's shown enough that he, you know, I don't expect him to be the reason that they, that I can see him not being the reason that they lose and doing enough that potentially they could get this. But look, I, I think Detroit will win, but if you want to know how the Tampa Bay Bucks could win this, that's how they could. Um, yeah, so this is, my, this is my thinking on it as well, that Ed... Evans and Godwin is against the Detroit um, secondary is the way to win. The other thing they've got to do is to be a little bit smarter in terms of their, their defense. They, they, they got away with an awful lot of stuff uh, last week because the Eagles were so bad. But there's, there's, a, there's a level of aggressive blitzing that, you, you know, if they go too much on it, then Goff uh, is going to find his receivers. They're going to find holes. They're going to be able to get through it. Because the thing about the, the Lions is, yes, they have a, a run game that can beat you, but they also do have options in terms of the pass game that if you try and focus too much on the run game or you try and focus too much on, on, on pressuring, that they can exploit you as well. So the thing about the Lions is they just have so many different ways to beat you on the offense um, that it's hard to account for the ball. You really have to basically try and find a way to get Goff off his game and making mistakes and certainly there there are ways to do that um so there is there is a path to victory for the tampa bay but i don't want to see it personally because i don't think the books are all that good a team <laughs> yeah i, I all agree uh, like you know, connor laid out a challenge and i'm like okay here here uh, here we go and yeah, I, I do no. think this is this is a game where i think detroit this could be a good game to get your kind of secondary options this year like your jameson williams or your Cleve raymonds get those big plays because i do think there will be a couple of big plays out there um on the outside if they want to take advantage of them yeah, so I, I, I think, you know, trusting that Dan Campbell knows what he's doing with his players and he trusts his players and everyone's bought into the system and everyone plays to their level, the Lions should win this one. There is a couple of scenarios in which the, the Bucks find victory, but I, I don't think that they're talented enough to exploit them most of the time, to be honest. So I think the Lions should be comfortable enough here, I would think. 
Yeah, and then finally, Sunday night football, Kansas City at the Buffalo oh, Bills. We're, we're running a little bit over, Connor. Maybe we should keep this short, like 13 seconds or so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've uh, talked about this game for so many years. <laughs> we don't need to. Um, so, yeah, so this will be Mahomes' first uh, playoff, playoff game away. on away, on, I suppose. Except for the Super Bowl, of course, in the future. Yeah. Although you know, you like I would, I definitely think that that Tampa Bay one that they were at home as as being a home game, I suppose. <laughs> but you know, whatever. Um, so the, the, the Chiefs the, fans can't play the victim, Connor. It's just it's over. You're like no, 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 no. Uh, I'll be playing that for ages. Uh, <laughs> so the obvious question is: Look, this Chiefs offense has kind of turned a bit of a corner the last couple of weeks. They've been getting a lot more production out of Rice, out of Pacheco, and stuff. So what is that going to look like in this game? Are they going to be able to step it up another little section? Will they be able to turn some of those field goals into touchdowns? Because this is an exploitable Buffalo defense. So hopefully they'll be able to get a little bit more done there, particularly in the red zone. It might be a might be a spot of someone just having to tie Andy Reid down and enforce that it will be running the ball with Pacheco. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, on the other side... Obviously, we talked about Josh Allen doing Josh Allen bullshit. Uh, he's very good at doing it. But they have all been breaking in their favor the last couple of weeks. So will that still hold up at this point? Or will they start to have a couple more mistakes happen? Uh, you know, this is a tougher defense from Kansas City. So will we start to see a couple of turnovers happening here? Allen has been quite good at getting a number of weapons involved so they've been kind of spreading it around a good bit more i think both tight ends are now operating both got touchdowns last week like they've got digs there they've got a run game in cook and they've got allen's leg so there's a lot for them to try and cover off from the chiefs defense as good as they've been playing uh particularly in a blitz heavy scheme like uh, we tend to run with spagnola you gotta wonder if they're gonna just you know if the Bills are prepared, they're going to have a lot of quick timing rights to get out and stuff like that. And we've seen them do that in game. So there's a chance that that could, that, that, that could go to their advantage. Like, I was, I was hemming and hawing about this one because I was initially shading towards Buffalo there at home. It kind of feels like if they're going to make a run, it might be now that they do it. Uh, and they have been having everything kind of break quite nicely for them. But I've just got this feeling that... The, the, the Chiefs are getting a little bit more out of their receivers. Are getting more out of the offense. The defense is playing at a top end level. Like I think against this the Buffalo defense, the Chiefs will be able to move the ball quite well. And I think with the level that the Bills are playing, they're going to be able to move the ball against Kansas City. So the question is, who do I think is more likely to be a bit opportunistic and be able to get something uh, like get get a turnover or force a fumble or something like that? I could definitely see the Chiefs being able to do that. I'd imagine there'll be a couple of sacks in this one because there's good coverage on the back end of the Chiefs defense. But then Buffalo, the last couple of weeks, have just been they've been quite good at just having those little moments where they get in, they punch a ball out, or they, they throw someone down to the ground by the arm so that the ball shakes loose. So there's always a risk of that. And that is compounded by the fact that, you know, 80% of the Chiefs wide receiver room essentially don't have functioning hands. So we'll see. Like, the Dolphins game was won before the game because Tony was inactive. So there was no one to make the mistakes that Tony does. Does, like, are the Chiefs past those mistakes or have they just been, you know, not throwing to the guys and trying to avoid them? Uh, we'll see in this game because I think Buffalo will know that they're going to double up Kelsey or they'll, and they'll put maybe safety help on Rice and then say, look, if you're going to beat us with MVS, beat us with MVS. And that would be a problem for us. Um, 
I expect a lot of run game. It's going to be freezing temperatures in Buffalo, but it's going to be warmer than it was this week uh, and a lot warmer than it was in Kansas City last week. So we'll see. I imagine we're going to get a bit of a shootout here. I imagine it's going to be a close game. I think the boogies have it at like two and a half points favoring Buffalo. So like that's essentially a pick em game when the Chiefs are on the road. So I'm excited for it. I think it'll be close. Uh, I'm slightly favoring the Chiefs at the moment, but I am very close to wavering on that, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with you. It's going to be a close game because because these two teams, I mean, they always seem to to have close games, especially in the playoffs. And recently, I, I disagree with you in terms of it being a shootout. I, I kind of feel like this for once will not be the kind of situation where it's, you know, who has the ball last between Mahomes and Allen. I think this is a game almost of defenses, um, which is quite an unusual thing for a Kansas City Buffalo game to be, but given the state um, of you know how good both defenses are, particularly Kansas City, and given how much difficulties, for example, the Kansas City offense has had, I think they're going to need their defense to step up in a big way because I think the big challenge for this game is we can't expect. I certainly, I certainly don't expect the Chiefs to score a tremendous amount of points um, because I don't think they've given us any reason so far this season to imagine that they're suddenly going to discover how to how to score 40 points, um, particularly if the weather is going to be in a bad situation. I mean, it, it's more likely going to be a Pacheco run the ball down your throat kind of game than Mahomes throws five, five touchdowns kind of game. So Kansas City are not going to score an awful lot of points, which puts a, a lot of pressure on their defense to stop a Bills offense, which in their at their moment can can go on a bit of a run like i we've talked about that the josh allen the magic bullshit puts his superman cape on and does superman stuff like this is this this is the stage right this is the his biggest moment of his career of, of the uh, to date has been the time that he almost single-handedly beat the chiefs except that mahomes had 13 seconds left to to to, to hurt him like that's so this is his moment to, to, to overcome that. And for the, the Bills, there is an awful lot of a kind of a psychological thing where the, the Chiefs are, are the, the mountain they have yet to, to overcome. So I imagine Allen's going to be on his game. I imagine the way the offense is, is kind of structured since they changed offensive coordinators, there's going to be an awful lot of, of, of Allen-centered running and throwing and stuff. And it's, it's essentially the Kansas City defense are going to have to try and provoke mistakes out of this Bills defense. They're going to have to put Allen in such pressure that he makes bad decisions and throws interceptions or they're going to have to get some fumbles or something because I, I don't know, as good as this Chiefs defense is, I don't know if they're going to be able to hold uh, the the Bills' offense if they're firing to a, you know, a low enough score to allow their offense uh, to, to keep pace because as much as this Bills' defense is in, in injury trouble and they're going to have some weak spots, I, I just I just don't trust... Kansas City, even with Mahomes a quarterback, they Kelsey's past his prime. The rest of the receivers are, are garbage. I just don't see how they can score 35, 40 points in a in a playoff game. Whereas I can see how the Bills could do that if they get if they get in a run. So it's definitely on both. Firstly, the Bills defense to to do a number and not and not do stupid things that maybe gives. Kansas City opportunities that they that they won't otherwise be able to carve out, and it's on the Kansas City defense to clamp down on the Josh Allen magic bullshit to give them a chance. Um, so even though I, I kind of edge for Kansas City because I kind of feel that they're in this place where they're just going to grind the living shit out of this playoff run and end up winning everything by kicking a hundred field goals, um, 
there certainly are ways in which the Bills can get a get a win here and maybe even be comfortable enough, maybe a two-score kind of situation. So there's various different ways. This, this is going to be a big context game. There are different ways this game can go contextually. And if the Bills get on top, it's actually quite difficult to think about how the Chiefs will get back from that scenario. So so Bills at home uh, with Allen and form, you know, a, a lot of go for it. My, my pick is basically based on the Chiefs are just in this place where they've, they've found this formula that is awful to watch, but it works, and I think they're going to succeed. But a part of me is like leaning towards giving the Bills their, their credit and say, this is, their, this is also, as I said, this is their opportunity. This is their chance to, to get to make a Super Bowl, um, a better chance than they've had in the past few years. So, yeah, really tight game, uh, and it'll come down to a matter of inches. Who makes the mistakes? Who makes the opportunistic moments? Um uh, and which defense comes out on top. It's time for Buffalo to show us what you got. Because we're picking the Chiefs because we trust the Chiefs. They've done it. You got the T-shirt, got the two rings. Pat Mahomes on his way to being, you know, a Hall of Famer easily, even based on what he's already done in his career. Josh Allen, you're at home. You're against the team. Obviously, that 13 seconds has been hanging over you for two seasons now. And you got a chance to, to, to at least not wipe it away, but at least make people forget, at least set the new direction of the Buffalo Bills. Such a tough season for the Bills, um, you know, really struggles, but now they're on this heater. They've won so many games in a row. And I think the X factor for them is I think they've learned the lessons that the Chiefs had to learn uh, two seasons ago, basically, which is that they're not, you're not able to just blow the doors off this team. Um, you know, you're not able to blow off defenses because defenses are taking that away. You need to do it the hard way. And, you know, I think the peak of what Buffalo showed that they could do is obviously that Dallas game where they ran the ball down the throat with James Cook. They passed the ball out to James Cook and they made it work. But even in the Pittsburgh game last week, you saw, you know, no longer was it like, you know, deep balls to like Gabe who was missing or deep, deep balls to Stefan Diggs. It was passes at the line of scrimmage. It was passes over the middle to Stefan Diggs. It's kind of screen game to Deontay Hardy, to Khalil Shakir. Rely on that these guys and Shakir and Hardy are both explosive players that they can get yards after the catch and do it the hard way and keep kick cook part of your game. And I think major props have to go to Joe Brady to quickly turning this whole ship around and making this offense go from like really bad to now suddenly looking pretty good. Um, uh, but they they basically made, learned the lessons that the Chiefs had to learn two seasons ago when obviously people were so afraid of Mahomes that they basically never gave them explosive plays anymore. Um, but the big difference and the X factor is that Josh Allen, oh, he just can't quite, you know, he's got, you know, He's, he's on the vape, you know, he, he definitely does what's thinking about, you know, give him a couple of drinks and he still wants that big play. He still wants to throw it down the field. He still wants to get the big play, the crowd going for him. And, you know, sometimes it works and it's like the most amazing bullshit you've ever seen. But many times has it been that that's given the turnover, that's given, you know, the big mistake that's let the other team stick around or let the other team win. Um, and he's gotten away with it for the last half of the season. But as I said last week, you know, it's still bullshit. He still has that bullshit. It's so intrinsic to his being that he still has to do some of that. Whereas Mahomes has become disciplined. He has become almost Brady-like compared to, to someone like Allen who just still has that that crazy in him, uh, basically. Um, and obviously, look, they have the advantage that Josh Allen is one of the best rushing quarterbacks of all time. Not that Mahomes is any slouch, of course. Uh, but yeah, like the, such pressure here. Such a huge moment. A chance to wipe away the last two years of basically, you know, you know basically the, the pressure of, of all that 
like that failure, that 13 second failure. But the Chiefs, look, you know, they, as I said, they know what they're doing. They're going to come in and run their game. Uh, the Spagnolo defense is playing at a really high level. They're going to continue. They're not as quite pressure heavy as, as some of the earlier Spagnolo defenses, but they still are willing to get the pressure. You know, they have good linebackers. They, they are getting solid pressure from Karloftis. They obviously have Chris Jones. So I think they'll expect to get to, 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 to Allen. But I think, you know, the big thing is Allen, you want to be disciplined. Don't give them the easy uh, routes to, to run for long yards uh, on, on third down specifically. Uh, don't get, you know, don't give up the, the kind of big plays uh, internally and make him do it the hard way. Basically do what to him, what other defenses do to Mahomes. Make him do, like make him throw underneath it continuously. Make them run it with um, uh, James Cook. Make them grind down this score and then hope that on the other side that Mahomes uh, with the explosive, with suddenly Rashi Rice is getting the yards after the catch. Kelsey, I don't know if he's improved, but he's not quite as bad as he was his worst this year. And then obviously yeah, keep running the ball with Pacheco. And I do think, I agree with Sean, I don't think this is going to be a shootout. I think this is going to be NFL has changed because of quarterbacks like these guys. When you're playing quarterbacks like these, you play defense completely different, and it kind of almost turns it back at old school football. I think both these teams, especially in cold conditions, it'll be grinding it down, getting it done. For me, the X factor will probably be will that Allen, you know, hero mode, save the Bills or damn the Bills, and I think it'll come down to that. Yeah, no, it should make for a very exciting game now. So, any plans for the weekend, lads? <clears throat> Other than obviously all the football. Uh, yeah, so I am going to, as I said, I am going to a wedding uh, in England. Uh, so that's Saturday night. So I don't know how much of NFL I'm going to get to watch that day. Uh, hopefully, maybe so on Sunday. But uh, yeah, it's 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 people should not be getting married in January. Not only is it too soon after <laughs> after Christmas, but also it's in the middle of NFL season, uh, which is not cool. Not Very cool. inconsiderate of them. What about it yourself? seemed like a award show, wasn't it? With like Rob McElhenney was like. I can't believe yeah, they put he the Emmys. Emmy, the same yeah, time as the Philly game. It on his phone, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, for myself, uh, I'm, outside of the football, maybe go see the uh, new Lanthimos joint, the poor things. But outside that, nothing too exciting planned. Very good, yeah. I'm off down to Kerry for the weekend. We're going to go see our new uh, nephew who was born there just at the uh, end of December. So uh, that'll be good crack. And then obviously catch up with all the football. I'll be back. I might need to book the old Monday morning off work if I'm going to watch the Chiefs game live, I think, because it'll probably run till about, what, half two, three in the morning? And you have to watch right to the end. If yeah. Last indications or anything to, to go off? Yeah. Can't, can't, can't leave unless there's uh, 12 seconds or left, less left in the game. Um, How much could happen in two minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, look, we'll wrap it up there for, for now. And obviously we'll talk about uh, these games afterwards, preview of the of the championship games and uh, all, all the other bits of news and stuff that are happening around. But, uh, oh, for now, late, late breaking news. Apparently Sean is switching to the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, so. I, I talked myself into it. I, I'm going to go, I'm going to believe in Josh Allen magic okay. bullshit uh, to save okay. the day. Well, just to have it on the record, Sean, Connor, before we finish. Yes. Oh, of course, yeah. We've also, uh, like, actual breaking news, uh, that the, the Saints are uh, firing oh, that's Carmichael. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> they're uh, they're scrapping their entire offense. So that, uh, that big performance in week 18 was not quite enough to keep them all together. But uh, I suppose that'll do for now. So it's bye from myself. Bye from Sean. Bye. Bye from Fitz. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you.